You're dialed in to the Cut Banks Conversation, a podcast on hunting, fishing, and conservation in British Columbia. Well, hey there, hi there, ho there, and here we all are once again, episode number 13. We are just knocking them out. It's been nice to be off for two weeks and taking a little break. Uh, Stevie, how you been? I yeah 13 13. how did we get here already how did we get here already and (laughs) yeah is it but it's been awesome so busy last couple of weeks for you or just doing a little decompress a bit of both uh it's berry season foraging season as we know so got some uh pretty intense canning done and some berry pickings and jellies and jams and all the fun stuff kick ass fireweed uh jelly as a matter of fact wasn't that good i had that for breakfast this morning it was kick ass man dynamite job Mandy Starnes would be proud of you. You did a really good job with that one, man. So hey, reach for the stars, right? Reach for the stars. Well, we got a new, well, not really new. They're friends of ours. Uh, they'll be friends of yours, not mob friends, if you're thinking those kinds of friends of ours. These are part of our band of brothers, uh, part of the local hunting community. Uh, some guys that uh, are pretty hardcore kick-ass hunters in all of them in their own right and pretty well known if you're in the social media circles up here in the northern BC latitudes. So we've got... Mark Newdorf, who also coincidentally works with Matt and I at the dealership. We got Pete Campbell, and we got Chad St. Amand. Say hi, guys. How you doing, guys? Hi, guys. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get started with our campfire conversation. So we got a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to lean into and have a little chit-chat about hunting in general. So uh, a couple things to kind of, I guess, cover off. First of all, we should get started because it's a campfire conversation. We don't have a campfire But we do have our unofficial sponsor, the good people at Trench Brewing. We have purchased some lovely ale and Pilsner. And uh, cheers, gents. And uh, let's get this one going. So, yeah. (laughs) That was way too visual. Way too visual. All right, so uh, before we get started, um, just to introduce you guys to the listeners and kind of, I want to kind of talk a little bit about how you guys got into hunting and I'll kind of go around the table and kind of get your personal story uh, about what brought you into the world of hunting, uh, hunting specifically. So Mark, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about that journey. How long have you been hunting for? Yeah, no, I've been hunting for quite a while. My name is Mark Newdorf. Uh, you know, born and raised pretty much in, uh, the Vanderhoof, Prince George area. I've been in PG now for about the last eight years. Uh, strangely enough, I'm very, very hardcore into the hunting, but, uh, don't come from a hunting family at all. Uh, my best, uh, buddy growing up, uh, Kevin Woods actually, uh, is really into the hunting as well. He used to go spend the night over at his place and there's nothing better than getting up on Sunday morning, beautiful, you know, sunrise and stuff like that and going out and shooting grouse. So that's where it all started for me. You started off just shooting, but it was, so it was not part of your family at all? No, no. Uh, actually, that was my first introduction um, at the beginning. I actually didn't even really enjoy hunting, fishing, any of that kind of stuff. I just did it to tag along, uh, you know, so that I could hang out with my buddy. And that was, uh, you know, how, how old it. were you when you got started? Oh, I want to say I was probably 10-ish, 10, maybe 11, somewhere in that area. And you're, so you come from a fairly big family. How many brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got uh, four brothers, one sister. I'm the youngest of six. So yeah, it's kind of strange. We're actually, I uh, was born in Northern Alberta and a lot of the farming, a lot of that kind of stuff, not really much given thought as far as, as hunting and stuff like that. But uh, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre to me. And after, you know, being uh, Mark's family is my, uh, is one of my many Prince George adopted families, but I mean, there's a, we, they fish 
and your brother Stephen knows how to to make a sauce to go along with uh, skinning a moose, but he knows absolutely <laughs> fuck all about shooting a moose. <laughs> so so <laughs> I, I just I've always as hardcore as you are, it's funny because they're they're completely the polar opposite to you. That that, that uh, has always been surprising to me. Yeah, no, for sure. Like I said, uh, my my introduction to hunting came through my best friend, so. I uh, was pretty blessed to be able to get uh, a start in life that way. You know, my brothers, they have their own things they're into. I think they're crazy. They spend $5,000 on guitars, and they look at me cross-eyed when I, you know, spend double that on rifles. Yeah, I dig <laughs> it, man. I dig yeah. it. Yeah. Pete, tell us a little bit. How long have you been doing this for? Are you Were you born into a hunting, fishing family? Somewhat, yeah. I would say uh, more of the logging background, born and raised in Prince George. Hi, my name's Peter Campbell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, my dad was always out in the bush growing up. I spent lots of time in the bush with them. Basically, they would come across hunting territory and fishing territories growing up. We did some fishing trips. Right. Um, but I, did so did, did your dad, did your, is your dad from a hunting and fishing family? Yeah, totally. Grew up out at Nest Lake. Okay. Know, that, you know, sawmill background with my grandpa. So you guys in the bush or have a, have a long-standing relationship? Yeah, somewhat, yeah. Yeah. So uh, how many siblings do you have? three sisters i'm the youngest you're the youngest (laughs) there you go that's a common theme here in uh, the prince george area well it makes a lot of sense though for for pete right (laughs) (laughs) so for you though do do your sisters hunt and fish uh yeah somewhat yeah somewhat a little bit a little bit not as hardcore as you not as hardcore as myself uh, I find, uh, you know, I, I kind of have a vivid memory of this, uh, savage 410 over and under being about 13 years of age leaning over my dad's Toyota pickup, shooting at pop cans out, yeah. in, out in the bush. Oh, that, you know? And that's kind of where, is that where the, the hook got set? Yeah, pretty much, I would say. And then, of course, um, I had a brother-in-law that got was into jet boating when I was about 16. My, my second oldest sister was married, and this guy would take me out on the rivers, and uh, he was into elk hunting. So uh-huh. that's kind of, <laughs> he was really uh, kind of the, the guy who planted the seed, the say, and... Uh, we spent some times up on the pine and basically it was all up north, right? Because that's where the hunting was really happening for elk was up north back then. And I kept a really close eye on our local scene. And in 2002, when it opened up, it was just like unbelievable feeling of let's do this. You know? So did you like, were you kind of into hunting a little bit of everything, but so what's the deal with elk? Cause I, I, I mean, I, it's, that's a, it's a big deal for you. I know it's a huge deal for you. You're like one of the godfather of uh, elk hunting here in uh, yeah. in the Prince George area. So I would say it's about the challenge. I think it's uh, an addictive challenge because it's not one you're always going to be successful at. And it's uh, quite rewarding just to be able to be out there and being able to feel them animals talking to you and being out with them in the bush, hearing them, having my kids out there with me, hearing them and you might not have success, but to me, say this morning's experience, yep. September 2nd, yep. it's almost the same every September 2nd. You get some action, but you go home with a huge smile and grin. My kids talked about it till they fell asleep in the truck at 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, I dig it. Okay, <laughs> for, I dig. for the second nap. <laughs> let's, be, let's be fair. It's also a full moon tomorrow, and today should have been one of the best days of the year. Should, and, and so was it? I wasn't. I was working. Yeah. <laughs> All <laughs> right. What's this, get, what's this getting out on opening day? <laughs> so, Chad, uh, let's uh, let's kind of get into your backgrounds. How long have you been uh, uh, hunting, kind of fishing guy? So we're pushing thirty years now. Thirty years. Thirty years. Born into it. 
sort of somewhat um so like um my dad's family came from a pretty large Saskatchewan family family that grew up through depression years war years uh there was a lot of years where deer fed the family yep yep so you had to learn how to shoot out there yep yep I dig it right uh you're from Saskatchewan you want uh, I totally I, I, understand I, that. I, yeah, I, I I definitely didn't grow up that way, but I grew up around people that were that. Yeah, like, absolutely. So yep. it kind of filtered in. And then again, my uncles and uh, my dad's uncles, so my grandfather's family, they were they moved up here. Gosh, years and years and years ago, log hunted. When they weren't logging, they were hunting, and so my dad picked that up from them when he was sixteen, and it's kind of carried over. But mostly, you know, truck hunting. But mostly road hunting. Yeah. yeah, we're going to get into a little bit of the the different kinds of hunting and how we all see ourselves. But. Yeah, and that was, I mean, that was a big thing back then. There was lots of moose. There was lots of game around. Um, new lands were just being opened up. The roads were just being pushed through this country. Not, not like today. But um, yeah, so when I was ten, I my dad, I think we moved to Prince George and we went hunting and we got like a grouse. And I think that kind of. It's well, like grouse is like the gateway oh, animal it's here, like, right? Yeah, it's totally a gateway drug. And it's like a, <laughs> for a little boy, you just, when you, the first grouse you see, if you're into that kind of stuff, you turn into a little savage and all you want to do is get more grouse or move in. The minute you get a moose, all you want to do is that. It's just kind of like a, yeah, it's, I, I can go over the analogy a little later, but you know, it's yeah. once you start, you get up, you shoot and you shoot and you shoot and shoot, you hunt and hunt and hunt. And then it gets to the point now where it's like, no, oh, I just kind of want to go out now. Yeah, and just and just it's it's that whole thing. And yeah, we've yeah. talked about that lots, right? The evolution of the evolution of the truck hunter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The truck hunter. Hey, Come some of now. some of us some of us still truck hunt. Okay, let's let's. How did I meet you in the bush? <laughs> Wait a minute, driving around in a truck. So, but it's funny that you know in Saskatchewan, I think for a lot of people, their baptism of fire for hunting, not that they're they started shooting gophers, right? Lots of yeah. pasture, oh, yeah. lots of pasture clearing for gophers and stuff, and it sort of starts there. And at some point, you probably went out, and uh, depending on where you were, you know, somebody probably took you sharp tail hunting, right? Not not you know not spruce grouse or rough grouse, but you went sharp tail hunting, and and that's kind of that's your way in, you know, maybe maybe rabbit hunting, uh, certainly in rural Saskatchewan, you know, coyote hunting and stuff for sure, but. Saskatchewan is a general rule, though the the first big game animal for everybody be whitetail. So when I moved here in 2015, I fully, in my brain, I was like, well, you know, I'll have all this whitetail hunting to do, and then all these other things. And as you know, Mark and Steve have been kind of my hunting partners ever since I got here, and I've had to abandon my dreams of of serious whitetail action. Not that there isn't whitetail hunting in BC, but it's not the same thing. So no, we have uh, we have big ones, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> So I've had to, I've had to sort of pivot and find, uh, find a different way into it. So, um, so let's just, let's start a little bit with this, the idea of the, the road hunting. Uh, let's talk a little bit about not just road hunting, truck hunting. We all have a hunting identity and, you know, I, I would say each of you probably, you would probably cast yourself into a certain category, right? Um, so if I was talking about fishing, Chad, would you consider you're, you're not a, you're 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 not a gear fisherman. You're a fly fisherman. If you had to put a label on yourself, I know you do lots of you know hard I, water stuff. I I think uh, if I label myself as an angler, I fly fish first. But I, I more recently, in the truest sense of the word, I'm an angler. You're an angler. I for me, it's I prefer to fly fish, but I'll I have no problems picking up a spinning rod, go bass fishing. I have no problems going picking up a spay rod and 
doing that or going to the coast for a Chinook on a, a rod. You just like to fish. I just like to fish. So, but, but in terms of the hunting journey for anybody here, where do you, I mean, for me, it, I, 100%, it's, I'm, a, I'm a born, you know, I'm probably like one of the biggest authorities on truck hunting, you know. I probably, you know, I probably have some serious mad truck hunting skills. Um, but I wouldn't say the idea of being a backcountry hunter that's not a thing for me from my previous experience. And it's something I'm just starting to carve that piece out and explore that space. Cause that's not, that's not what I come from. I come from a, you jump in the truck and you go shoot your deer, you jump in the truck and you go get your coyotes. And out here it's a whole different animal. So what about for I, you, Mark? I, I think from like hunting from a, a general uh, perspective, whether you're truck hunting, whether you're, you know, packing in 15, 20 kilometers, 40, 80 kilometers for a stone sheep, it's different for different people. A truck hunter, in my opinion, isn't any less than the person that goes and, uh, you know, backpacks into the bush and stuff like that. If that's what they want, if that's what they're into, uh, good on them. But you know what? For me, uh, you know, I, I know the question gets asked all the time, you know, why do you hunt or what's what's the reason why you hunt? And for me, it's, you know, companionship. For me, it's, it's getting to know the person beside you. It's getting away from work. It's getting, you know, away from people, away from the politics, away from the influence of what, you know, this crazy world is going through. And you get to have these serious one-on-one -on -one talks, which is why I think when you when you look deeply at who your best friend is in the world, let me know whether they're your hunting partner or not. If you're a hardcore hunter and your best friend, you know, is also a, a hunter, for some reason there's kindred spirits that go with it. And as soon as you start hunting, um, I don't know, the relationship kind of just hits a different level where you start to trust each other and stuff comes up and you talk about things that you wouldn't normally talk about you know, with the, the, the hustle and bustle that you, you go through every single day. And so for me, truck hunting, absolutely. For me, you know, I'm probably the heaviest guy sitting around this table right now. You know, I put a lot of time and effort sitting in my seat. So <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, in, yeah. but in, it's, it, that's not, it's, yeah, we say that with truck hunting or hunting. It's, it's the time and effort. It's not just hunting. It's any, it's anything you do where you spend that kind of time in environments that can be stressful, that can put you into a stress, that can put you into heightened sense of reality, you know, that adrenaline rush, that all those types of sports, people tend to bond, they, they, like you bond like that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I, there's trust involved. You have, oh, and absolutely. you have to, be, you have to have that trust. But the, I also think there's judgments that go with it though, because I mean, 100%. because people say, I mean, you're uh, like a, like if we look at the, the, that, that balancing act between I'm a bow hunter and here's a book I'm reading and I'm going to read a quote from this. So here's, you know, David Peterson, love his writing, but he's a traditional bow guy, right? And it, there's a certain level of elitism with some trad bow people, just like there is with people. I know people that only want to shoot with a muzzle loader. You know, you have some people that, you know, they, I, I'll only shoot with a, the guide that I met uh, when we were in Namibia last year. Um, they've never used optics ever on a rifle ever. They don't believe in it. Their, their clients can, but they yeah. never have, and they never will. They only shoot with iron sights and they never shoot farther than 300 yards. And that's the way that they were born, bred and raised. But there's also a, there's a safety issue over there with using iron sights with, with the, yeah, with the yeah, dangerous no, yeah, game that's around. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's a much faster. For sure. But he, like he's, he said, I could, uh, I could do it with a, you know, an aim point, but it's a, it's a, it, for him, it's a purity thing. Yeah. It, um, but you, you find the same thing in archery communities. You get so some people, I know some people, they're diehard archery hunters, but they're hyper judgmental about people that hunt with a rifle. Right. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a tough cookie to crum crumble there. You know, like that's the problem is the judgmental part and instead of holding the community together 
But it's those are the things like when you watch some of these posts and these threads that go online and then it starts, but that's what I mean. Some people are like, I'm a truck hunter. I'm an elk hunter. I'm a moose hunter. I'm a deer hunter. Like we have these, we have these modifiers that we put on who we are because that's the thing that we identify with, or that's maybe our way into, like you said, the, that's, that's our way into it. Right. That might also be, you've never been introduced to the other side. You've never been Mm -hmm. introduced to. A sheep hunt. You've never been introduced to a backpack hunt. You've never been introduced to shooting a bow, which yeah. is which is right. kind of what you were talking about before. Is hunting for me? It's it's, it's totally it's a journey and it's progressive. Hundred percent. You, you start with grouse. You've never been on a sheep hunt. Don's never been on a sheep nope. hunt or a goat hunt, but once he does, it's it's going to get in your in your blood, right? You yeah. start off with grouse, and the next thing you know, maybe you get a a crack at a coyote or at a bear. You know, bear is definitely one of those you know newbie junior hunters because they're you know they they stand well, they're, around. They're pretty they're easy perfect, to kill, and they're black and you see them. <laughs> yeah like, and, yeah and you can see 30 a day which you know is great for the junior hunters right yeah, it keeps exactly their, keeps their attention but yeah no i i totally agree like it's, it's one of those things where for me i haven't spent nearly as much time you know hunting mountain game and different different things i'd love to do antelope one day i've done uh you know a, a lot of the other things but uh yeah well, you guided for quite a while too you did eight or nine years of guiding too yeah i spent a lot of time in northwestern bc doing a lot of the mountain guiding and all that kind of stuff so i got to see that aspect of it and got to see um, you know, what it takes to get some of those animals. And I think, you know, one of the, the dreaded terms that we hear all the time is trophy hunting, trophy hunting, trophy hunting. Well, that's just it is when you have to literally push yourself to the point where you're almost ready to cry and give up because it hurts so bad and you don't want to go over that next mountain, but you know that that's where your, your target could be. And you push on and you push on and you go through that kind of stuff. And finally, you're able to, you know, get whatever it is you're going after, whether it's a goat or a sheep or a caribou or a moose in a swamp, whatever it is, that amount, like that dopamine hit is more than when you jump out of the truck and you shoot a moose for me, right? It's one of those things when you put that much time and that much effort and go through so much pain to finally be able to get what you're going after, there's going to be a lot more satisfaction for a lot of people in that kind of stuff. But that first moose you shot out of the truck was still better than anything I'll shoot. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There, there is, there's still that. And honestly, there's still people that they just want to go out, get their animal, get their game, yep. put it in their freezer and, and be done with it. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. not all of us want to, you know, the, one of the best things going out there is not all of us want to spend thousands of dollars to live like a street person in the bush. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. Like we do, we, we voluntarily choose to do that. And by doing so, the things that, you know, it's pretty philosophical, but we want to test ourselves. And by doing that, that's what you're doing is there is nothing harder than doing a mountain hunt or any remote hunt with you and another person. Take that other person away and just do it solo. Oh, yeah. There is yeah, no harder yeah. mental challenge no. it's, out there. I, I don't. Yeah. Maybe deep sea diving. Yeah, yeah. I, have a, I have a crazy amount of respect for people that do that. But mm-hmm. even, um, but, but I just it, it, we I find it's interesting that you know it, when you have a conversation like this, people can separate themselves from you know some of that that the I guess the judgments or the those definitions, those harsh definitions and criticisms when you start to talk your way through it because you. It, but it, when you get everybody in a gaggle, every all, we all get into these camps. It's like there's a whole bunch of this. There becomes this hunting tribalism, right? It's like I'm an elk hunter, or I'm a bow hunter, and you know you're you're a, you're a rifle hunter, or I'm a deer hunter, or I'm an alpine hunter. And they get really they're, they're It doesn't happen all the time, but one of the things where I see us falling down as a community 
is that we get stuck and we get entrenched in that perspective. Not everybody. Categorization. But, but some people get, get kind of hung up in, in that thing and they, they can't see the forest through the trees. They only see it their way. And they're sometimes not particularly tolerant of seeing it another way. And I think that's one of the things I wish, you know, one of the things you talked about is, you know, you start with a grouse and then maybe it's a bear and, and sheep and antelope. Hunting tends to unfold opportunity if you seek it out, right? And you might find a space. You know, some people are content to go out, like you said, and have the experience, shoot their deer, but they're going to get meat. Some people I know, that's it. It's as fast as they can get out, shoot their deer, and get home. In Saskatchewan, there are guys I knew that had zero interest in being out there for longer than two hours. Mm -hmm. Get me a doe, get it in the truck. I will have it skinned, butchered, and done by, you know, by by lunchtime. I think, think too, uh, comfort, comfort levels. Yep. Different people mm-hmm. have different skill sets of comfort that they can control the emotion when they're there, when they're out there. And that was something I struggled with when I was younger was when, in, when the elk started happening for me was actually getting out there and feeling comfortable in the bush. If yep. you're getting out and putting yourself in those well, scenarios. You, were, you, you in the beginning, you hunted a lot by yourself too. I did. And you had a lot of, what? Do, how do we call it? fun bear interactions in the beginning <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I did and right. you know and we were i was right beside you sometimes yeah like chad, or in the chad, same area chad and i actually spent quite a bit of time early season early years hunting elk together we spent some time in the same areas right um it's funny because this morning i wanted to take my kids to this spot and i know it's going to be an awesome spot but i woke i woke them up this morning with the intentions of going there and we didn't go, but it's because I got chased by a grizzly bear last spring or last fall. That's why you didn't take them. Yeah, in. I just yeah, I know he lives there, and it's like I just don't want to run into him without another adult with me. I'd rather have <laughs> another adult with me and not my kids. Yeah, you know? well, and it, everywhere and in the north here, especially Prince George, if there's elk in an area, there's grizzly in an area. It's they and go you're, hand and in calling, hand. Yeah, and you're yeah. calling them in. Oh, hundred percent. And you're, right now with being archery, I I, I know. Oh, yeah. I think you carry a rifle, don't I, you? I was packing two rifles. The dog yeah. was packing one. I was packing the shotgun and my bow. And your bow. So you're yep. getting really good exercise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, for me, I carry bear spray. Yep. I, I, I just, I won't carry the added weight of yep. a 12-gauge or a rifle. Or a 45 or whatever. Or a 40, and, and I do, like, I'll carry a 45 if I'm going to be just calling and helping somebody. Yeah. That's my choice, too. 45 yep. Yeah. Yeah. But as, as, like, you just... You, you got to be aware of the bears out here and there's more and more. Yeah. They're not going away. So when you, so when you, if you look at the, the, so you got bit by the, the elk bug, right? Totally. That was that. And that seems to be, if I look, I mean, you do some bear hunting, but really your, your big jam when you're not fishing is you're all about, get me the, 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 the the bugle, the call of the wild. July is focus on Chinook. Yeah. Hammer the Skeena as long as I can and <laughs> live like tree planters on the side of the beach with right. my family and uh, just focus on elk coming up, you know, and yeah. elk comes up. It's kind of the trail cameras and getting out there and just checking out the inventory, seeing where, where you might want to spend some time. And right now, in the last few years, it's almost like I'm not seeing too many bulls on camera. It's almost like everybody's got cameras out there. Maybe the bulls are becoming camera shy. Hey, okay. So th- this is something I wanted to talk about. I am, and it's because I'm a, I think I'm a lazy hunter. I think that's what the deal is, is, and I recognize my shortcomings, but I would rather plop myself in a truck and I'll drive somewhere and I'll grab my pack and rifle and I'll head out and whatever I run into, I run into, and I'm okay with whatever comes of it. If I see something, great. If I don't see anything, I accept that. 
I just I just went on this big uh, you know uh, house cleaning mission uh, at my shop, getting rid of tree. I had tree stands. I had five or six tree stands. I sold That's some pretty amazing deals you gave. Yeah, I got some great deals. But I had all these cameras and the discipline or even the interest it's it i know people that are like yourself and actually there's quite a few people that are, that are friends of mine that, that hunt they've got trail cameras set up everywhere i just i'm just not that guy i just i recognize that i am just i will not target an animal and i don't I'd, i'm actually happy with the surprise and not knowing i think that's why i would suck as a as an elk hunter because i'm just not that i just i rather just let it unfold spoiler alert yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He ain't there opening morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, it's more. fun. It's it, and it's funny. Peter shot a bull that I had on camera, and if it's true, it was a long ways away from that camera when he shot it. Really? I've so, never, I've never actually shot anything that, that you've was, seen on camera. Had on camera. But you see, I mean, you watch TV and you see these guys with. You know, they're just obsessed. Like some of the big TV shows, they've got 30, 40 cameras out and they're targeting a deer. Remember, oh, yeah. they're naming them and they're watching they're, year they're to year. Hunting, they're hunting controlled. Oh, yeah. Uh, many many of those shows are hunting controlled private land. Yep. Those deer don't leave a one acre spot. That's right. Yep. Yeah. In and some they cases. Can, they, and they can do that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, there's movements down down in the States and I'm, I haven't heard of a whole ton up here where they will manage your property for five acres. And those deer will grow to 200 inches on that five acres. They will never leave. Yep. So, yeah, they can do that. Up here, the, there is no more wild game than hunting the bush around Prince George. I don't hunt around here because, for me, it's I want to be into elk every day, and I'm lazy. So I go to where I know I'm going to get into <laughs> elk every day, and because I won't shoot one with a rifle, yep. I want to be where I can actually shoot elk. Right. Whether it's a three-point. So do you use cameras? Not anymore. No, not anymore. Because everywhere I hunt with cameras, you get them on, and then come come rifles or hunting season, they're gone. They're but, chasing but cows. Probably, they're being pulled but, away. But, but elk tend to be they have they're more migratory, right? They they move more. Well, know? they'll they'll move twenty thirty k from where they they summer type. But thing but with white tail deer, for instance, it, they're super predictable. It's the same reason yeah. you can you can effectively hunt white tail from a tree stand, but you can't hunt mule deer that way. It just doesn't yeah, work. Mule right deer now. kind of are like moose; they just roam around aimlessly. And I have a cow though. Like I really truly believe the cows are residents. I have a cow that's got a big bite out of one of her ears, and she's a resident. And I've had her for four years. But the cows don't move. You know, it's like the cows stay resident. resident yeah. And the bulls once the you know those bulls have been probably going for already two weeks. So cameras, other than other than, do you use cameras I, or any other? Th 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 no, I could take them or leave them. To tree stands? No. Mark? No. No. Not for and, elk. And, no, and and for me, um, you know, in order to be a hardcore elk hunter, and I'm gonna, you know, as as far as Peter and Chad, and uh, you know, the way that Chad used to hunt them around here and stuff like that, it takes another level of dedication. Oh, and, so and, much time. And, so much time. And, and I was going to say, and plain and simple, it's, I wouldn't say that I don't have the time, but I wouldn't be willing to sacrifice the things I'd have to give up to chase them. You know, moose, it's one of those things where you can drive along and you can take somebody yeah. with you. You can go sit beside a lake, a swamp, go hike into somewhere, and you can call, you know, whatever, and, and you, know, you can get decent success as long as you're in the rut. Elk is a totally different game. They are way smarter. They're way harder to hunt. They're and I think that's why if we're going to use the word trophy quality again, because you have to work so much harder for them, you know, it, it, it's definitely more rewarding when you actually get one. I, I yeah. will say one thing though, with, with elk, they are very predictable at certain times. They're coming right now for the yeah. next three weeks. 
it doesn't matter where you go in North America. There, there's certain traits with elk, certain things you can look for in the bush. They're always going to be in those yep. areas, whether it's the Yukon border down to Colorado. There's yeah. there's certain things that they're always going to do, completely, which can really help a hunter. Like I can go to a new area, and within a few days, you're into elk. Yep. Simply because they are predictable. And when they're in the mountains, they're predict- predictable to the mountains. When they're on the down around Prince George, they're predictable around waterways. Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about just the idea of elk hunting. Like one of the things that I found interesting that David Peterson wrote about was, I mean, he seems, he really objects to guys bugling. And he almost never calls. Like he works on, uh, as a traditional hunter, you know, his perspective. And a couple of other people that seem to be into that elk space um, there's some guys that are of that, you know, I'm going to do an ambush. I'm going to get over top of a wallow and it's like, there's a purity score that goes with it. Right. And I'm going to get into this purity score thing. But, um, one of the things that's funny though, is bugling because I, I one of the things that Steve and I laughed at actually there's all three of us about three years ago, there was a bunch of people talking about, Oh, like there was somewhere off the Fraser, uh, which is just outside of Prince George here. And they're talking about all the bugling that's going on. And then you realize that somebody had made the comment that, well, I know that those guys were there and these guys are less than 2K apart. It's just guys bugling back and forth to each other. And there's probably not a fucking elk to be found anywhere. No, or it's hard to tell when that elk is bugling because the elk doesn't necessarily have the big, huge bugle, you know? Is is that part of your aversion to hunting close is because you got too many people that are going to just go i'm just going to go buy one of these things or a you know cow chirp and just go out and call the shit out of things not really because i don't i don't want it i know that my calling is going to call elkin and i know i'm not going to screw up or fuck up calling but you don't want to be around guys that are fucking up right oh no i love it oh really they push them to me okay (laughs) i'm fine with it prince george is busy it's much busier now than ever being because you're seeing a shift from, from moose, moose yeah. to elk. Yep. If if you ask me, and I think I don't know, I might have said it to several people here, and I know I say it to guys at work all the time. They ask me, if you were to buy a tag, what would you get? And I go elk. I'd buy an elk tag before a moose tag in northern BC any day now, simply because the elk hunting is just better. There's more of it. There's there's more elk. If you ask me, I think and, 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 it's and, just better hunting now. And like I said, it takes what percentage? So I've got a question. Uh, what percentage of people do you think are road hunters? The guys that that, that don't stray more than 150 yards off of the road, okay. unless it's walking around a block around here. Yeah. 85, 90. So, so what we've just done yeah. now is when you're hunting elk, you've just eliminated 85% of the hunting pressure. Yeah. You know, if you want to go in and you want to hike in a couple of kilometers, <laughs> there you go. Right? Actually, yeah. actually. <laughs> That's exactly why I started elk hunting. Exactly. Really? Right there. Because I knew there wouldn't be very many people out there doing it. Yeah. yeah. And and it was awesome. Yeah. You know, but then of course what comes with awesome is I've never targeted an animal in my life. No. Nope. Not, not one of them elk have I ever targeted. Yeah. And there's some beautiful ones. And then it's like people start seeing those pictures or they start seeing them elk and then they're it starts intriguing and pushing and yeah, you know, everybody starts thinking, Yeah, you know what, let's get out there. Yeah. And I think it's a great it's a great shift. It's a great, like it helps business. It helps. It kind of helps everybody that shift being able to target more animals than just being a traditional moose. Totally. Area. Yeah, totally. Yeah. When moose density's down, I, I, yeah. I, I get that part of it. And for like, sure. realistically, it's also a lot more sustainable. You take a look at elk and their numbers and how they bounce back and stuff like yeah. that. Elk can take the pressure. Sustainable for sure. Well, it's not so much that they can take the pressure. 
because if you if you see what's going on up up around Chetwin Peace Country in the uh, I don't know. Let's call it the open zone, the ag yeah. zone. Yeah. What, what area? Their are numbers you, are, you, are down. You are talking yeah. like Del Rio? Chetwin, Del Rio. Yeah. Like what, yeah. What exact area? Are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you want to go to Del Rio? Yeah. Sure. Go down. It's great <laughs> hunting at Del Rio. But no, like if you look at the numbers and you talk to the locals there, they've actually re- the the ministry biologists up there came up with a plan to reduce elk numbers, and and they have done it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. The numbers have. are way down. Yep. But the thing with Prince George and our elk hunting in Region 7A is we have that six-point bull, and that keeps the numbers healthy. That's what's keeping the elk hunting good around here is because you don't have everybody going out hunting a three-point. I mean, I'm sure sure we would love a three-point season or a cow season in archery around here. But it would just increase the success rate. That's all it Absolutely that's not. It. Yeah. 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 it would increase the success rate of archers, which is only 5%. Yeah. In this province. Yeah. The the success rate for elk for rifle hunters is only 20%. Yeah. And if you think of what 80 some thousand people in this province buy a hunting license? Yeah. You yeah, might right. know 100, better. 110. Okay, right. so it's up. Of that maybe 80 buy a an elk license. 20% of people get successful. That's not very many. Out of but out of 110,000 people, I, I don't I, even I, know if I, I think that. I actually have the the elk the elk numbers aren't very high. It, like yeah. moose is significant. It's mm-hmm. about 30,000 people yeah. um that that will try to buy a moose license provincially, but elk's really small. Like yeah, it's what, 5 7,000 between 5 and 7,000 yeah. and then I would think that the net return on that Depending on where you are, I would assume that the Kootenays is probably a little better. So when you look at hunting, um, just in general, um, if we just look across British Columbia, you guys, part of the reason that you like elk, though, for you, is there was less competition. Because you, to Mark's point, as soon as you get 50 yards off the road, right, you take out a a lot of people are all of a sudden, the second that I can't drive there, right, or or shoot it from the, the, the side of an FSR, I'm not there anymore, right? Yeah. And if I have to, like, the idea of going in, you know, now that it, I, I, I'm wondering how many people that are, you know, tapping into guys like Steve Ranella and stuff like that. And they start thinking about how far in is this guy? And yeah. he's, he's going to backpack out an elk like five miles or up and down hills. Well, well here's, a, here's, here's a question I'll ask everybody here. How far have you packed an elk? Well, never shot one. So. Shot? Well, we can, we can fix that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But how far, how far is the farthest pack you've carried an animal on your back? Oh, I like would a, an say animal or five, an elk? Five kilometers. Five k. Yeah, an yeah. animal or an elk. Both. Uh, yeah, I would say probably close to that. I yeah. would say probably three to four kilometers. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Caribou. Yeah. yeah, I've done twenty four k. Yeah, for an elk. Yeah, for an elk. Well, for an elk. That's a pretty smart decision. That's not. <laughs> yeah. Don't suge- I do not suggest doing that yeah. because we shot a caribou on the way out. Yeah. So it made it a really long, heavy path. But but I think I mean that that's a good uh, for for certain animals. I think that that's the the cutoff point. People look, but it's part of it. It's part of in Saskatchewan hunting elk. You don't have to. Where I'm from in Saskatchewan, there's not too many places where you would shoot something. You can't back your truck up to it. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, or a quad. It's. I mean, it, you weren't really ever in a situation. There was very well for me. There, there was virtually no deer. Fields. I could not drive to. Yeah, you're, you're driving yeah. fields, fields and driving around and small and forest corridors and stuff. Large. So I come here, and then you know, it, it's the it's the allure of guys like Renella, you know, and Remy Warren, and you start watching these people. 
um, on television, I watched these sheep hunters and goat hunters. And I mean, I remember seeing those, those pictures of you and was that, uh, Maurice Lake or something where you were on a goat hunt with ropes and shit there, you were on the cover of BC outdoors. Oh, yeah, no, but yeah, that was cool. That was a cool photo shoot. It was, it was a cool photo, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I, I, I'm like, but that is, there is a, re, there is a reality to goat hunting in Northern BC where you are in full mountaineering gear yeah but i but but here's the thing i think that that's you know that's where some of that elitism gets born out of because some people have to some people say i gotta suffer for my art well there's an art in hunting that way right just like you with uh you know i i I know that like you're on the river quite a bit right you know so that's for some people that's a way to get super good success well if you're not if you don't have a boat or you're not good at working that and if you don't know how to call and you don't want to pack Certain animals just did. They're they're just off the radar, right? The river boating is also a culture, like just like elk hunting's becoming sure a culture. I, I like to think I live a culture with the jet boating life, and I really because I've been on the jet boating. Oh, that's scene a, yeah, for that is a culture. Years. That's a no, but I mean, I, I think I mean we go true. jet boating everywhere. But I think right? it's yeah. super, but it it adds a whole other dimension. One of our one of our friends is headed for a two week. There's four or six of them. I mean, three boats, they're gone up a river, they're going to be gone for two weeks. I mean, that's a major expedition, man. Like, it's a major undertaking to go up, and you're in super remote areas. I think it's a super cool way to hunt. But they're going to live better for those two weeks than we are in the city. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But, I I mean, I just, I admire the application of effort. Um, You know, and I, like I said, I finally tipped the point where I'm like, okay, I, I, I need to risk more. But right. there's just as many boats being bought. And, and uh, like, if you look at how busy the river is now, <laughs> it's not quite as uh, as slow out there as you think it would be. No, I they're going to... I actually s- prefer to drive and hide my vehicle and hike. And hike? Yep. That's, I, I, I'm more successful. You're, you're just more successful. Okay, so let's talk about the spot. We got I got to talk about the spot because it gets debated nonstop. Pick a hunting group. Don't it buy gets deba- one. What's that? Don't buy one. No, but here's the thing. <laughs> no, not the spot device, my spot, my hunting spot. What's the etiquette? Let's talk about the etiquette of a hunting spot. So you have you have your little honey holes. You, you all do. There's places that you go. Mark's got some private private land that he hunts, right? Um, how often are... I've got private land that I can hunt. So how often would you take somebody to on public land... How often would you take somebody to your spot, or would you ever even consider doing that? <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Not, I would see Peter. You, I'd find Peter's truck and then go to the next road and walk in on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, there, I have seen some knockdown, dragout debates uh, well, about my spot, and that's my spot, and that's my elk or my deer or my moose, and I had them on a camera, and I get all that shit, but it's public land, right? Hundred percent. Public land's public land. Yeah. And I'm not gonna lie, like. Back in the day, I was I did a lot of work. I set up a lot of trails. I did a lot of cutting. And if somebody stumbled onto it and they beat me to it, no big deal. But you try to push these guys out of your area and it, it wouldn't work, you know. It's because one of those guys <laughs> and, is me and I didn't care. And, <laughs> no, but I'm just saying like elk hunting, there's got to be a respect for these for these guys hunting. If a guy's in an area, respect him, give him That's his it. space. If he's there... Let him do his thing. Don't try to hike behind him and dick him around, you know? Well, like, and if you have half a brain, why would you want to go and hunt right beside somebody else and down your well, own here, but here's here's another way to look at it, though. So when I started archery hunting and when I started becoming really successful at 
getting to the point where I know like I'm going to get into elk pretty much every time I go out. Um, I go out with a plan and I stick to my plan. I don't have I don't have plan B. I don't have plan C. I stick to my plan. When you get up at 3 a.m. and you drive out to where you're going, if I see Peter's truck parked there, which I have, yeah, I've gone to the next road and hiked in another way. Or and and sometimes you're not when you do that. Um, I I didn't we didn't definitely don't do it to be a dick, but that's where you're going in the morning. You you don't you now have run out of time to go anywhere else. And it is super disappointing yeah. if you pull up and there's that other. Oh, I've done that. But, yeah. that's, but even when you're on a road, like yeah, I mean, when I first got here, you go. It's like I'm gonna leave at four o'clock in the morning. Let's yeah. get out on the Blackwater. So Steve and I get out on the Blackwater, start driving, and and you come around a corner, you see fucking tail lights, and you're yeah. like, and you in your brain, you're going, get off my road, man. Yeah. Like oh, that's this not, was my plan. That's like, not in your brain. Up my, you're, yeah. you're doing that out loud. You're, yeah, just, <laughs> you're <laughs> totally screwing up my plan. First mistake. Yeah. Blackwater. Black hey, I said what I first. <laughs> Not I really. Heard, There's still great animals no, there down there. No, no but just, when you first get but here, but you, you are right. Yeah, you, 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 you get it in it's your head. It's like, oh, we all do it. And then it's just like, so it's a good thing that I'm not like you guys, where it's like I got, I, I don't have a, I have plan A, which is. Just go till it feels right, man. That's so. right. But there's there's also <clears throat> there's a difference if I see Peter hunting in an area because we could probably hunt together and still have mm. a good day. We're not going to be Absolutely. tripping. Like I've walked in knowing that Peter was going to be on one side of a creek the night before. I walked in a completely other way and we got onto the same animal and we just started calling together. Teamed it. Yeah. So but- there, there's there's that and I've actually offered that to people. In areas that I wanted to hunt, hundred percent. So have I. I. I will do it. I will do. I would rather, if if I bump into a new hunter, I and, and I'm hunting there. They want to go in there. They want to walk in there. I would rather hunt with them, so they don't screw up, but and wreck an area, than have them go out and do it themselves. I'd rather show them what to do properly, than have them. Make okay. the mistakes I did, but all I'm saying was, is it we? You have a spot. I mean, when you yeah, see yeah. somebody that's parked there, or what's the courtesy? What would the, you do, Mark? The courtesy. Oh. If you see somebody parked there, yeah. For me, I don't know. Like, I'd probably just sit in the middle of the road and wait for it to get light and see what comes out. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but I re- but I remember I can't. You and I were maybe on the Dol- Moldovan or something out here yeah. uh, a couple of years ago, and you're driving, and then somebody's parked on the road, and they're hogging the road, like they're trying mm-hmm. to choke off the next 16k of the road it's like you got well, two or three guys there and it's it, like is it a main is it an a road a b road a c road yeah because there's also these guys who camp at the end of a yeah. road and there's only two kilometers left of the road to the comp to the slash we'll let the guy have it he's obviously claimed it yeah and, and that's but my question yeah, I'm, I'm see that though to me if you don't want me hunting in your area don't park at the end of the fucking that, road and that's what i was going to bring up i've i've been up on forest service roads where you see a b road or a c road and there's somebody camped right at the beginning of it and you know it's three four five k oh, down yeah, yeah. what do yeah. you do in that situation yeah for me i go i, I go somewhere yeah. else where there's nobody yeah i, I, I yeah. what i do so i've done it burn it down <laughs> no no I, absolutely not and you, you might get a call on this one yeah. and that's fine <laughs> But I have gone knowing. We will put again his email with, address at the end of the podcast. Yeah, sure. Um, knowing that the road, there was still about 6K of road passed. And knowing that there were bugling elk, knowing that there was a particular elk actually at the end of that So road, there was a motive. There was. I went in, there was a camp at the end of the road. Okay, there's a camp at the end of the road. Normally I would turn around, but it is crown land. Yep. And mm-hmm. there's six kilometers of road past it. 
nobody was in camp because it was a local people from the local community were had a camp set up there all year <laughs> i rode my quads through it we checked it out it happened to be the best area in that entire side of the river and i'm like yeah now i know why your camp's there but so we hunted that afternoon and we ended up getting like four or five bulls going that night and we got close and so what river uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was right that out was, here, Pete. That was, was the, the A-Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we uh so we made a plan and I'm like, okay, we got we got a plan. And I went back and I we talked to the guys. Yeah, we we had a bull going, we're gonna come back. Or actually I lied. I said not nothing back here, but we're coming back in the morning to get <laughs> Always to the a river. dead giveaway, there's something. Yeah. yeah. So we came back, it was we got up at four thirty, we got there at five, and the old guys were just getting out of bed, and I don't think they'd ever really shot an elk. Mm-hmm. And you could hear the one bull from camp. <laughs> and I go, hey, guys, look, we're going in. I-, I lied to you. We had four bulls going last night. Why don't you come with us, and we will help you kill an elk. My old man was with me, and he was okay with that, and I thought that was a good compromise to going through. No, no, we're good. We're going to go after this elk. So we we went through, and... I went after the elk I thought we were going after. Well, it turned out we were chasing the same bull. <laughs> oh, no. What was happening is that bull was at the top of a draw bugling, and his voice would carry yeah. down the draw, and then whatever way the wind current that morning came, it would pop it out. So when we first heard the bull, like I could hear him up here, but the bull bugled down here. So we went to that call, and then you could hear cows moving, but they were all coming out of the draw. It was all the right. way the wind. So we ended up getting that bull, which was kind of, it was, it was good, but it wasn't bittersweet. Yeah, it was bittersweet. And, uh, so do you feel bad for the people? I feel bad that they didn't take me up on their offer. Well, yeah, but that's, but that's their decision. That's right? their decision. They're grown out. But that's what, like, so what's the etiquette? So, so, so you, you for said me, it, yeah. for me, don't camp. At, if you don't want anybody hunting in an area that you're going to go hunt, don't camp at the end of the road. Yeah, you're That's just giving a it dead away. Giveaway, percent, mm-hmm. and you're blocking. You're blocking they, Crown Land, basically. But they didn't block the road; just they had the camp. There. Gotcha. But yeah. it's still six kilometers of road past you. Yeah, in, that, in, right? in that situation, I wouldn't even think twice. I go hunt that yeah. any day, all day, whatever else. The thing that really frustrates me is when you get people and you know that they've got a honey hole back there. I'm not after your honey hole. I have one of my own. I know where That's you know right. there's animals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Get off the road. Yeah, you know what I mean. If if I'm hunting a new area and I'm just going out and exploring and stuff, and I see somebody that's got a camp set up, I'll leave them be. But if I know there's animals back there and I want to get at those animals, well, here's another example up in Del Rio. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's Del Rio is a very popular. Sounds like a real winter right. spot. Yeah, so that's a, where my that's part's a, going next too. For, so so it's just popular. Lots yep, of people yeah, from yep. British Columbia, all over the province, Vancouver. That's where they go because, quite frankly, I'll tell people to go there. Yeah. Because that keeps you out of where I hunt. Yeah. But what happens is, is you'll get a, a big group of people. They'll come up. They'll take over an entire yeah, the leases, landing, yep. the entire yep. lease. But you know there's access to a lake back there yep. and you have to use that road to get to it yeah that's the closest way if not you got to come way around there's still the the the, the uh, seismic lines are still there mm-hmm. but they're blocking it and they purposely put a 36 foot toy hauler across that road that's what i mean and that's and that's the part that's where, wrong yeah 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 see and i, that's I think just as wrong as 
camping at the end of a yeah, road. Get, yeah, blocking access is blocking access. I, I think when you're blocking access, I mean, I get being a dick in a certain area. And in, and in certain areas where there's vehicle access or foot access, um, you know, in Saskatchewan, it's funny. I, I, there are Anybody that's ever hunted there knows. You get to the season opener for rifle. If you get high ground, I mean, Saskatchewan's great for north-south and east-west grids. But there was, I'd get out there at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and there's where the area I hunted, you could see for miles and miles and miles. But before the morning would get going, you just watch, and all you could see was just like little, it's like fireflies. <laughs> yeah. Tail lights and headlights going up and down grids. This guy, everybody's going to every field, right, that they've either got permission or that's not posted. Yeah. And you just wait for the, the, the so at some point, there was just, I always found it, unless you could, you really needed to go get permission on land, because that's the only way you're going to hunt. Here, the, the thing that drives me nuts about these debates is it's crown fucking land. Like, it's not, pri- I, I get private land. I get that. But the whole, it's crown land. If I get there, I get there. But the other part is, you know, don't be a douchebag about it. Like, you know, it's, I get, I'm not going to hunt on top of you. It, it, it's not safe. It, I, I shouldn't hunt on top of you. But don't, some of these people that we, and I mean, anybody listening, I'm sure you've run into it, where you've got a vehicle that's cutting off, not five kilometers, 25 kilometers yeah. of, of, of trail network. Right, I'm not. You don't need the whole 25k to hunt. But there's, oh, yeah. there's other there's an, there's other issues too. Like if some like if somebody's gotten out and they're they're blocking the road access to the last block, like logging block at the end of the road. Yeah, that's one thing. Turn around. Yeah, because there's somebody who's waiting for daylight. He's probably a rifle hunter. He's probably waiting to walk in. Yeah, I've seen guys literally drive around the pickup on a quad or a side by side. Drive past that guy walking, that's, turn around at the landing and drive out. Yeah, that's you just issue. wrecked his morning hunt in that. that yeah, walk. I, I agree. And yeah. I, I remember sitting in ground blinds in Saskatchewan, on on private land, and have people come through. Yeah, sitting in front of us, like we're oh, sitting yeah. in a ground blind, and then pull and then look and see us, and, and know they, full well we're sitting there waiting for sun up, and then have a conversation, wave at us, and then keep on driving. Yeah, and, it, and a yeah. lot of it, a lot of it comes down to etiquette. Right, it's it's one of those things where everybody has a different idea as to what etiquette it is, and and you know everybody has different, um, you know their own moral compasses that they go by. You know, if you're up in the mountains and you see a guy and he's on a sheep, and you know that you can get to that sheep before him, are you going to? No, because that's bad hunting etiquette. That's mm-hmm. not that's not right. Well, you're like you're liable to get in a fist fight over that one. But, yeah, no, for sure. But it but it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's yes. a moose or a deer. When you see somebody targeting an animal. You don't go in there and try to interfere with that. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's like, okay, kudos. You know, hopefully you get them. Principal, yeah, right? principal moral aspect is just, absolutely you know, give the guy a space. And yeah. and that's just it is you have ethical hunters. I'm going to use the, the word ethical. You got people that hunt with, you know, a, a high ethical standard. And you have other people out there where it doesn't matter whether it's on private property. We call these people poachers, by the way. These people are not hunters. Uh, these people are poachers um, where it doesn't matter what animal it is. It doesn't matter whether it's legal or not, you know, or if it's really, really big, it's a 200 inch whitetail. It doesn't matter if it's on posted land, you're going to do the, you know, good old shoot and drag and get it off the land as possible, you know, as fast as you can and hope you don't get caught. Mm-hmm. You also have those kinds of people, which yeah. are not hunters in my opinion. That's, like, those, no, they're not. No, that's po- that, that's hundred percent poaching. Right. But they exist. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and that's the, the, that's a huge issue in the hunting community that we all belong to and the brotherhood that we belong to is that we get smeared uh, with that uh, that title and stuff, or we we wear their sins, you know, on our clothes sometimes, mm-hmm. just because they are in the the, the uh, you know they're they're in the process of hunting. 
but they're poaching. They're not, they're not in the process the, of hunting. They're but in they, the process they, of no, poaching. But they could You're, be until but, until they see that 200-inch whitetail and pull the trigger. Media, you, blame, you know, media is to blame for that. Yeah, well, 100% you, When you is. see media yeah. say, so-and-so uh, and so-and-so hunting uh, caught poaching. Yeah. Well... What that just painted us all with the same brush. Absolutely, same especially kind of when it's way, like you know? one yep. of these celebrity the, hunters that does it. Yeah, but even even, <laughs> it's even worse. Yeah, yep. but even celebrity hunters are not like one of the things that is Steve's pointed out a couple of times in some posts is, you know, people will the the media will say and not posts I mean actual media articles, um, it's like you you're calling them hunters. Yeah, you can't like there's not that. a hunter that calls them a hunter. Yeah. Oh, we, yeah. we call them poachers. Yeah, I got just no like problem you. calling into the media and saying no, you need to do a retraction there. And some some. Uh, there's been a couple Some that they, they actually good about did. retracting. Yeah, yeah, there's been a couple that well, you've had changed. with this day only age, because you had to phone in. Absolutely, the, yeah, because the they don't care. The no. good fight we're fighting is to protect what we have and mm -hmm. what the lifestyles and and our our passions. It's the only way to do it. Absolutely, I, I think that same thought process. Um, you know, I think it's a good parallel to the way that a lot of other people hunt. They're like I said, you get a big animal in your sights or something you've been targeting, or a, a monster deer, a once in a lifetime, a moose, an elk, or whatever it is. Those are also going to be the same kinds of people that are willing to shoot over the crest of a hill towards a, a house. Yeah. Those are going to be the same kinds of people that are going to be putting other people's lives in jeopardy because it's all about that animal and that's all they see. They don't care what the consequences are. They don't care, you know, what, what may or may not happen to them. The only thing they care about is that that animal is going home with them, which is why it's so insanely, uh, you know, difficult to try to get permission. Okay. So here's a, here's a good question. Is there any animal that makes a hunter go batshit crazy more than a white big white tail or a big mule deer. No. No. How do you what do you mean by batshit crazy? They are obsessed. They they will go it does once they see that animal it does not matter where it is. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the shot is. They will go batshit crazy over a big deer. Yeah. yeah I mean, People I mean, don't you, even you, do that for elk. You, no. you know you mean just throw discretion out the window. Oh yeah, it's gone. There's yeah. no discretion. Yeah. If it's behind a fence, if it's beside somebody's car or their kid's playground, they're going to shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I think part of that, I think probably plays into the fact too, is that they're way easier to deal with. They're easier to drag off. It's pretty, pretty hard if you're, you know, <laughs> hunting in the middle of highway 16 between here and Dandruff <laughs> and there's a, you know, 60 inch bull moose and you drop them on the center line. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a little different than. Yeah. No, I, I, I honestly believe there is, there's just something about a big buck. Yeah. That yeah, buck turns people. It, crazy it, yeah, buck yeah, fever yeah. that buck it, fever happens that buck fever happens and people go absolutely psycho and you know what it, and you know what i think a lot of it is too is the amount of of deer that there are in north america and the publicity it gets you go on to wild tv or the sportsman's mm -hmm. channel there's three deer hunts for every moose hunt or for every elk hunt or for every well, it's it, you you throw the word mule deer you think of colorado you know you th you you, th you throw well, you throw the mule deer it's the west yeah it's exactly west. right exactly yeah. yeah and then uh you know you start talking whitetails in idaho and you know different areas like that but everybody can, I, I can talk to a guy from, from Idaho and he's talking to me about white-tailed deer and stuff like that. I can relate to him. Right. Because, and that's the one thing, you know, um, North America wide, everybody can shoot deer. Right. Yeah. Whether it's. Well, white-tail is the most popular game animal in North America. Yeah, there you go. It's also one of the most, I think the second most widespread animal in the North America. Yeah. The um so but when we the thing about white-tailed deer and I mean I've I've had a I, I've screwed up a couple of my my chances at you know 180 class white-tailed deer for for that exact reason buck fever yeah and, and and pushing shots that I shouldn't have pushed and all a lot of those came early in my in my hunting career in the first seven eight years I was hunting and it's it's like you know you see a scrappy deer and then all of a sudden you see it and it, I'm just I I your blood boils 
and your judgment goes out the window. And I'm not talking shooting on uh, on posted land. I'm just talking about taking shots that, you know, that that I was I shouldn't have been taken. I mean, it wasn't. I I'd never shot at that distance, right? Yeah. And just flinging lead like for the sake of just just hoping against hope that you're going to hit this thing, right? Um, you know, so I I get it. It's funny because when I see a big bear. You know, we've seen some big bears and you do the whole, you know, the holy shit and all that. I mean, yeah. there's a couple that Steve and, and Mark and I have run into. We've gone big bear, but it ain't the same thing. No, no, no. It's, it's nothing. Just, it's, it's straight nothing like up. Like bear. I, no. I, I, I don't get the shakes. I, I don't get all, you know, you don't get all wound up. It's, oh, yeah. You, I, you I've, see chased, big, I've chased with my bow a white tail that was chasing a doe that wasn't really running real fast. Eh? <laughs> I chased them for half a mile in probably 12 inches of snow. And I caught up to them at the other side. I was exhausted and the buck mounted the doe. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to close the distance to 30 yards because that's what I was comfortable with. Yep. And I'm trying to catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> the buck gets off the doe. He's all humped up. The doe bounces off. And I'm like, can I do this? You know, I tried to draw my bow and the buck snaps out of his mo- He was all hun- hunched up. He snapped out and buggered off. And I was just like, you know, I guess that's just the way it goes. Nothing guts you more, though. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I, nothing guts you more than that. Oh, yeah. Like, you, when, when a big deer gets away from you, um, you know, for myself personally, nothing guts you. It oh. just rips your insides out when it doesn't come together. If was, you hunt long enough, it's going to happen to you. But one of the nice things is, though, is you won't be able to appreciate your harvest when you do finally get one (laughs) nearly as much as when you've had one get away on you and you know the what ifs and if onlys and uh, if I had done it this way and finally it all comes together. If, if, If you went out hunting and you shot an animal every single time, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything like it is. No. So do you guys have an expectation? Like, Chad, you guys are pretty successful. I mean, in terms of if I look, usually annually, I can guarantee that there's a post. You guys got your elk, and you guys generally do pretty good, all of you guys. I mean, Mark always gets his stuff, and you guys do pretty good on your target animals. Um, do you go out in the field knowing that it's going to – do you see it like it's going to happen? It's just like do you, do you already see that the, 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 end, the end result? Because you guys are mm-hmm. – you have a pretty high success rate. I bet you Chad can relate to this, but it's that persistence of having the focus to stay on target and on task. Yeah. And I've had it where I was hiking 10 kilometers a day and every day going every morning, every night, and then no success, no success. The wife and kids have seen it. Dad starts getting depressed, you know, October 1st and have the last day be your success. Yeah. And me on my knees crying. That's, that's, yeah. That's yeah, Prince George elk hunting in like a nutshell. See, and I've, it's the crying thing because when I watch that stuff on TV on, on on Sportsman's Channel and Wild TV, like I've you know I've been excited, but I've never been like that. Like I've never found myself like, but I don't. Again, I'm an opportunity hunter, so if it happens, I haven't put blood, sweat, tears. I might have driven some miles and stuff, but I'm not invested in that animal or that piece of property enough. So it's never happened to me. So like like Mark said, that push, that that push of the drive. The, the drive, the pain, the suffering of going over the next mountaintop. That's what a mountain hunter feels. That's mm. what a sheep hunter feels. So when I started as a, so a story going along those lines. So when I started elk hunting and I started bow hunting, because that's how I started elk hunting was with a bow. Or sorry, I got lucky and I shot an elk from a truck. But the next year I went back with a bow. And my very first year hunting by myself with a 
full year with a bow. I shot a spike bull elk, called it into 40 yards. It was the first night I like called elk. And I was like, oh, this is sweet. This is pretty good. So I put on, got into my head that I was going to shoot a big elk, a six point with my bow. Eight years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> eight years later, I shot my first elk with a bow. And there was a point, my my friend was calling for me, uh, Tom. He's now in New Zealand, the bugger. Um, he was calling for me, and he had gone back about 200 yards. The bull had come in, and it was just kind of hanging up at about 60. So I gave a light chirp in my throat with a, with a uh, mouth call, and it came into 40 yards. I made the shot. It ran another 40 yards and crashed. I actually heard it crash. I didn't didn't register at the time I actually threw my bow away like I threw it (laughs) I don't remember doing it but I had to pick it up off the ground I went on my knees I was crying like a baby my eyes went what Tom said when he walked up to me he goes holy shit you look batshit crazy (laughs) (laughs) like you look like a psychopath right now but it was that culmination that feeling of eight years yep all coming down to one shot one and like 30 yard blood trail. Yeah. And, and and that it just, it like, it washes over you. You can't control it. You can't stop it. So I've got a question. Yeah. I've got a question for you then, Chad. So how many times in that eight years were you in a scenario that was very, very close to that where it just didn't happen? Oh gosh. How many times? Yes. Every year. Right. Every year, every, like I had a bull, Peter and I hunt an area. I had a bullet at 30 yards. It was, I'd been hunting for two weeks. I hadn't, it wasn't being very successful. I had it in my scope at 30 yards and its nose was right up at the cow. Like this cow was in full, full asterisk. Mm -hmm. And this bull was bugling. He was bugling hard. I had him at 10 yards with the bow the night before and it turned into rifle season. So I had the rifle out and one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. I could not make it grow that legal point. And I was like, that was cool. But I, you're disappointed, right? Yep, yep. And and that was like every year for eight years. However, since that bull, it's just been, it's a roller coaster. There's multiple days. The one day we did five. That was, and it was cow, it was cows and bulls. It was an open season up there. And the guys we were with wanted cows. They didn't care. They just wanted meat in the freezer. Yep. But it was like multiple elk on single days every year since. Yeah, and the crazy thing too, like bow hunting versus rifle, you kind of will roll into, I bow hunt a lot too, and I've been trying to get an elk with my bow for 10 years. Yep. But you'll roll into the rifle season because it's easier on the body, you're getting exhausted, and you just start packing your rifle and leave, start leaving the bow in the truck. Yep. Then when it happens... It's 40 yards elk, away. 30 Broadside. yards. Broadside, yeah. When it does happen. So, w- w- let's just talk. You said something earlier, and I want to come back to this because this kind of goes back to something we alluded to at the beginning. Thirty yards, something you're comfortable shooting with a, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with a bow. What's the average? I mean, usually, I mean, Chad, I think you're. I mean, if we look at North American stats, most most. Um, so yeah, so yeah. Pope and Young is thirty-five yards in the West. Yeah. Average. Average. That's your average is a 35-yard shot, and they track it. Yeah. In the east, 
18 yards. Yeah, because of tree stands and while white they, oaks and all of those. They, all they hunt out west, out east is whitetail. Whitetail yeah. and, and yeah. stands. From a tree stand. Or blinds, yeah. Yeah. No, mostly they do blinds, but it, archers, mostly tree stands. Yeah. In a lot of places in the state, especially back east, you have to hunt out of a tree stand. So what's... Uh, how far do you guys practice where you're seasoned and you feel comfortable? Like if you have not, not where you could say, hey, I can repeat this shot time and time and time again. What's your maximum trained rate? Not, not well, engagement range. This, what do you train to this year? Okay. I've been bow hunting for 20 years and I would say this is the first or second year I've been really comfortable shooting 60 yards. And you've been shooting for how long? 20 years. Wow. And I mean, I've been focusing for the 60 yards just so I have it. Right. And so I can confidently say that animal's going down when I shoot 60 yards. Well, and, that's and I'm just, the opposite. I'm like 30 yards this year. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just it, though. Is how far do you practice to but for fun? Just, I, I just did 100? I did 100 actually just last weekend, but we did that 3D shoot and they had a beautiful big bull bedded down. It was facing away from you up in Vanderhoof yep. there. And it was a 70 yard shot. And yep. I thought, I said to my buddy Kevin, Hey, let's hammer it. You know, like yeah. let's try it out. We were hammering it. Yeah, but that but that's my point too. Is you know, for me, I'm a long range shooter, and so uh, I was at the range actually today with Don, and we were ringing the gong. There was nine or ten hits on the gong, and we were shooting at fifteen hundred and five yards. Obviously, we're never going to shoot on an animal that far. Never. But you know what? It's really nice though. Is yeah. if all of a sudden you make a shot, and it's not a fantastic shot, you shoot your bull elk at thirty yards, and all of a sudden he goes out to seventy five yards and stands broadside. How nice is it to know that you've shot at 75 yards, you've shot at 100 yards, you've shot at whatever else to try to stick them again? Well, I got, I've got i got at least 30 hours, this this shooting right now on my bow, on this new bow, and I my kids, you know, handling our gear out to the vehicle. It's like... Don't touch it. How do you guys practice? Just, just standing, or do you guys practice kneeling? When I used to shoot archery, the one thing I, I, I was fairly competent at was shooting. Um, but I practiced on my knees. I practiced in a ground blind. I did practice from a tree stand. I shot 3D. And I would say that out to 40, out to 40, I was super competent. I could shoot, I could lob an arrow at 60 yards by the time I got out of archery hunting, but I was lobbing it. But at 40, I was pretty dialed in. 40 is kind of the go-to for all of us. So for, for, for me, for me to feel comfortable hunting, and I, I, I'll be... Truthful, I, I've kind of stepped back a little bit ever since the grizzly um, debacle, yep. call it. Um, I, I got really involved with defending the grizzly hunt. Steve knows how much I was involved. I did a lot of research. I went up against some of the biggest proponents of closing it. Yeah. And I took, for me emotionally, it took it out. It, ju- it just took all my will to even hunt out. Um, this year, I, I'm, I'm excited because I'm just doing some different hunts. But usually, typically, when I'm going on a mountain hunt for sheep or I'm going just hunting around here, if I'm not shooting quarters at 60 yards, I'm not happy with my shooting. Okay. And that means at 70, if there's a moose or an elk at 70 or a sheep at 70. Your grouping's tight. I'm, I'm going to, I'll take that shot every day. Right. I just, I know where my bow is and it's, and, and I know I'm going to kill that animal. If it's a absolutely perfect Conditions. Yeah. No if it's wind. Not, no, no wind. Yep. You know, wide open, no trees. It has to be perfect conditions for those ranges. So the longest I've shot and killed an animal, I killed my antelope at 55 yards with one shot. I missed an animal that day at 64 yards, but that missed 
was more because the animal turned. Right. And it takes so long for the arrow mm-hmm. to But travel. you guys are shooting your gear. Like, I mean... Every day. That's... that's The antelope hunt was every day, two hours a day. <laughs> I was shooting in tournaments, 3Ds. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's the thing that people miss, you know, and it, whether it's archery or rifles. And I was super guilty of this when I was rifle hunting. It's like, okay, I got a zero on my rifle. You go through, you shoot, you know, a box of 20 shells. It's okay at 100 yards. And the problem was you're shooting on a, you know, a lead sled or however you were shooting it, you know, and that's how I used to shoot. So shoot it on a lead sled and that's not super realistic. And then you go out and that's not how the shit shakes out. No. No. It shakes out with wind. It shakes out with them walking. They're, you know, the animals quartering, hard quartering, yeah. things that you don't consider. Things you can't control. Things you can't control and, and, no, and no trigger time, right? And it, so when the, the opportunity presents itself, I found, you know, I, I made some less than terrific shots. And after a while, I realized, hey, you got to put way more time into this. But how often do you go out and just shoot freehand with your hunting rifle? Uh, do, well, it depends. My straight up, my, straight up freehand. My forty-five seventy, which is what my decision to to hunt more with is. That's I. Other than today, I shoot. I'm shooting twenty rounds every time I go out. Yeah. I don't. I don't offhand shoot freehand really. Yeah. For but Mark, for, so Mark, were you ever taught how to? Were you taught how to hunt freehand? Right uh, out of the ball. Right out of the hop. No. See, I was taught to shoot freehand. We'd go out. We'd sight our guns in on a bench, and then we were my my dad and grandfather really drilled it in this is how you shoot freehand and it's transferred into hunt like bow hunting is all freehand you don't yep. use a yep yep unless you're unless you're using a crossbow you don't use a arrest a, a rest of any sort yeah and that being a being taught how to do that properly and effectively has made me a better hunter because i don't rely on a rest with a rifle i see a moose at 150 yards i up and shoot it oh yeah yep. with a rifle if i see a moose at 200 yards I up and shoot it. I don't worry about looking for a good rest or having to be in a perfect prone position. Like, And that's something that I think really gets lost with people who really focus on bench shooting to get their gun capable to, to hunt with. In realistic. Real life. It, it, it depends on where you're hunting, though, too. Because you 100%. know what? If, if you're up north, so for me, I do 95% of my hunting up north, right? And so it was kind of the same idea there. For me, I'm very, very confident in my shooting, and I, you know, obviously do a lot of shooting and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's times there where that's the difference between you going home with an animal or not. Not that's there. Right. I, I go home with an animal pretty much every time. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I hunt on a game preserve, essentially. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> but, but realistically, that's, that's what it is. And for me, if it's going to be a, a tough shot, um, like I, I had no, no, have no issues. I got it, you know, filmed on camera, had this bull elk, and it was just a, you know, a smaller five point, but... You know, for me, it's it's about the freezer. I wouldn't have cared if it was a cow right. or I yeah. wouldn't have cared what it was. It's going down. But it was 701 yards away. And it was literally 150 yards. There's no fence line. There's no anything. But it's 150 yards away from the fence line to the neighboring uh, or the adjacent property where I don't have permission. And so for me, I'm on the exact opposite end of the field. The yeah. thing has no idea we're there. I lay down in the prone position. It was awesome because everything's all, you know, cut down nice and short. And I had all the time in the world. So we're looking, we're doping the wind. We're looking at charts. We're doing this. And I'd made that shot so many times. And it, it worked out fantastically, right? I, uh, I I think it really, it comes down to the tools we're using. Absolutely. Whether it's bow or rifle. Yeah. You get out, you shoot it, you shoot it, you shoot it. 
and you become one with your tool because that's the tool that's going to be putting the meat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but how many people do that? Yeah, exactly. but there's, and there's lots of, and I, I agree with you. That's my point is I don't think lots of people do. I'm comfortable shooting even my heavier, my, my the Creed that I long distance shoot. I can shoot that rifle offhand at 200 yards and I'll be fine. I will not engage an animal with that in an offhand shot. It will never happen. I mean, I can shoot pretty consistently now, like, you know, at 600 I, I, today was a good example. 1130. Yeah, ele, ele, I was three for three at 1130 <laughs> nice. meters today. There's zero chance that I would ever even consider engaging an animal at that distance. But yeah. for an offhand shot, so this is I, where I want to migrate this conversation to. What are the, we, we all have, you know, everybody has these personal prohibitions and these boundaries that they put on themselves. Some of it's around how we shoot, some of it's, you know, for me, my personal one. Um, I'm not super interested in shooting a, a moose in Region 7A. Just not, right? Um, you know, people are bitching and moaning that we have all this 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 moose issue. Um, you know, there's a big moose issue, and then they get they, they jump up and down because somebody puts up 50 cow tags, and you know that it's going to net 11 moose. To me, if you got a big fucking problem with moose, how about don't shoot any? That's right. You know, but that's a that's a huge problem in. But, but that's here, a huge problem in BC overall. But but yeah, but we still got 147,000 moose. I'm just saying my personal, my personal. This isn't this isn't anybody else. My personal thing is, is in Region 7A. I'm not super interested in in shooting a moose. I'm not really sh- interested in it at all. That would be the one thing. That's one tag. I'm not interested in putting in my pocket. Right. Um, I don't engage any animal for myself personally. Um, I I'm not super interested in any shot. Um, over 400 yards, end of story. Uh, and personally, if I can't close to 200, I probably don't take the shot anyway. Even yeah. if I can shoot it with a long distance rig, I probably don't take the shot. You know what's funny is that's basically kind of how I go. Yeah. I only focus on elk because I enjoy being there. Yeah. Whether I get one or not doesn't dictate how my season's going to go. Yep. And yeah, but your season's going to be good anyway because you're hunting. Because I'm out there hunting. Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. loving it. Right. Yep. Uh, just one quick note with the freehanding shooting. I've taught my kids to do like a three point. So when they're shooting, yep. they sit on one ankle, yep. knee at 90, elbow at 90. Yep. And that's how I, that's how we practice. It's, and that's, if you, if you're, would it, I would take that. That's the shot I'm looking for. Offhand is, uh, offhand is good depending on the weight of the gun. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if you, some rifles, they're just not great for offhand shooting. Yeah, yeah. They're they're And if you're not used to shooting them and you don't know how to do a corner brace, it doesn't work, right? But that's another thing for me. I'm always going to try to find three points on the like three points yeah. of angle. And that's how you should rest. always choose the solid rest. What I'm saying is, many people don't learn how to. If that's their only shot, I'm trying to. I'm right. just trying to be more, like maybe a little more politically correct. A lot of people just don't learn how to properly shoot. Shoot, 100. No. Yeah. yeah. But little- a lot of and, and a lot of the people that are making those little snippy shitty comments, they're the people that don't know how to shoot. I, I know that there's some that when they make that comment, I know they know how to shoot. And and sometimes the comment gets um, lost in translation. Yeah, that's right. But I know that he knows his shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Lots of people will know how to shoot, but some people will, you know, there's lots of people that, hey, well, the, the rifle was on last year. Yeah. And they'll go, they'll, I, I've, <laughs> yeah. you see it. I've watched people at the Hartman range. I've watched people show up, shoot three rounds and leave. I'm guilty of that. You know, but, but, but you're a bow hunter. Yeah. No, I, I have, we have, we have a 30 odd six at home that I have not moved the sights on in 20 years. 
Yeah. That gun, it's a fixed, it's a fixed um four power four, four power scope. It's yeah. a fixed four power VX two. Yeah. It's an old Leopold. It's a good Leopold. It's that mm-hmm. old. And it is an amazing scope. It's a killer scope. I I've bumped it, I've trashed it, it's gone everywhere, and it's still dead on accurate. For sure. And it, but on on the heels of that. I know that you're also not going to be, you know, laying down with a bipod with that rifle and trying to shoot something at 600 yards. No, pro- absolutely not. I'll never shoot. No, I, I don't. No. But you, you, that's I, my that's my own my own my personal boundary is not 600 yards yeah. because I know there's no animal out there that I can't get closer than 600 yeah. yards to. It's about yeah. closing the distance, though. I want to put the time into closing the distance. Yeah. Are there what? So what other? G- give me some examples of some of your other your personal code uh, that that applies when you go in the field. Mm. That that's a tough one. Uh, mine are pretty pretty similar to you. First time in years I haven't put in for moose. Same yeah. sort of reason. Uh, I I don't want to take a shot that's outside of my capabilities. So inside of thirty yards with my rifle, I'm good. Um, <laughs> but I, the the one that I I do try and put on myself is to it to uh, uh, take one, put one back type thing. You know what I mean? If if I'm out there hunting, I want to make sure that I'm giving back to the landscape in the same sort of aspect. Whether it's picking up uh, garbage. Or, or helping out the, uh, the the population by removing a predator from the landscape as well. So try and get a bear or wolf or coyote or, or, or something like that. Right, right. Is there anything you guys won't hunt? As a, as a guy that started lynx hunting, well, thanks actually, to, to Steve and Mark and I both, we love lynx hunting. It's one of my all-time favorite hunts. Actually, I won't hunt lynx. Yeah, and I know. No, I'm I, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but but I have I have people that know me. They're like, I don't know how you, I can't do that. Like, And that's one of their prohibitions, their personal I won't do it, right? No, you know, I, I kind of put a kibosh on moose for the last seven years. Right. I just totally stopped hunting moose. But I, I, I noticed in my cams that moose are picking up. It seems like the moose are doing well. The mule deer are doing well. Um, but the calf moose. Calf moose out? My kids even. It's just not. That's a, that's a no-go it, for you? And it's been that way now for about four or five years. Mark? For me, uh, it's not necessarily like boundaries as far as how far I'll shoot or anything like that. For me, it depends very much on the situation. There's situations where I'll have a solid rest and I won't take a shot at 350. You know, if all of a sudden, you know, the animal is in a a bad position or if, you know, I can't recover the animal easily or if all of a sudden you got horizontal rain coming down and stuff and you don't have time or how close it is to the tree line. You know, for me, I'm willing to, um, you know, to stretch it out with a good rest and good conditions if the animal is off the tree line because I know I'm going to have a chance for a follow-up, yeah. right? And so there, there's there's a, for, for me, when it comes time for hunting, the number one thing, and I know it sounds crazy uh, because everybody always says it, but for me, it's safety. And I know it sounds like this age-old, you know, whatever else, but I've just about been shot. Like I, I, I've had a bullet go beside me from less than six feet away and it missed me by inches. My buddy ran over to, to come and pat me down to make sure I wasn't shot by somebody that, you know, a, a new hunter, a rookie hunter, and ever since then, it's completely changed the way I think as far as safety and new hunters and ignorance isn't an excuse for me. No. That me just about getting shot that day was my fault, not the guy handling the gun's fault. That's the decision I make when my when I have friends that will, like say my son's friends, dads or friends of a friend want to take my son hunting. Yeah. But I've seen this kid at my house or I've seen how these yep. kids are you know, clumsiness or, and that shit plays on me. For sure. It's it's like, you know, you know what, as much as I'd love you, Austin, to go hunting with them and, you know, show them some area. I just can't, I wouldn't be able to live with myself knowing that an accident happened. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark, I've been in that exact situation where 
our party split up deer hunting up north and we were coming up a fence line and there was these uh, brush piles. Well, I had my nephew with me and a family member came up over the top. Mm. There was, I guess some deer had come out behind us and he never seen us. And it was basically those deer were a hundred yards behind us, but the angle of the hill, yeah. it was some realistic, you know, it was like hats were orange instantly, you know, and yep. flagging, but it was a reality check. No, it's a, it's sure. a horrible who you, hunt, who you hunt with oh. is such a major part of gun safety, how they handle themselves morally, ethically, safely. But I, I've been in that, that opposite situation. I've been in both situations where it's a young hunter I've been hunting with and the rifle goes off. And you kind of you get mad at him because I did I had a, I had a shell in him. We were into elk, so I had him have a round in. But so we got back to the vehicle and I said, "Hey, let's take unload your gun." And he pulled the trigger, took a safety off to unload it, and pulled the trigger. Mm. I was behind him, but like it could have gone through my truck. I could have been in yep. front of him. You know, it the situation it could be bad. And that's unfortunately we we never want to see that. That's kind of a learning curve in hunting it is yeah you know you almost have to make that mistake sometimes which is why to see it yeah which is why i think you go anybody that's ever taken their core or their pal which is what you need here in canada to be able to you know uh, Mm -hmm. buy a firearm possess a firearm and stuff like that but you know what like i said it seems so insanely simple but you know you would eliminate every single accident ever always until the end of time if your muzzle is pointed in a safe direction, yep. it doesn't matter whether the gun goes off accidentally or you have a junior hunter or something yep. like that. If the muzzle is pointed in a safe direction, there will never be a casualty. And, and that was, that was, and in this case, it was pointed in the safe direction. Yeah. I was right there supervising him. He just yep. he slipped. He made a mistake. Totally. Which we all do. And it happens. And the other time I was fit, I was down bow hunting in Empire Valley and you guys, I mean, those of us who live in Northern BC know that that is one of the busiest, most retarded, best places for deer in this province. But I hit the ground. Four shots went over my head. Yeah. Because somebody was shooting skyline at yeah. a small, at a, not even a buck, like at a small buck. Mm-hmm. I never did find him, but I hit the ground and I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember being in, uh, in Saskatchewan walking into a field right at, uh, right at daybreak. And I saw a, a buck about 400 yards away, and I know the I knew I know the property. So the the property basically goes uphill to the middle, and it's just got a long ridge just in a field. And the buck was skylined, so I started walking towards it, and it was looking the other way. So I could see it looking at why. And then as I'm walking, all of a sudden it's like kaboom right at me, like right they're shooting over top of his back but right towards me thankfully I'm on the downhill side of it. So I went flat on the ground. Well, they continued their pursuit. And the bucks started running towards me. And I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> these guys have no idea I'm back here. But I've seen that. And I've had, uh, uh, I've had an acquaintance uh, get shot in the stomach for, for that exact thing. Yeah. You know, get shot by somebody that's, uh, that's just not paying attention. How so, about Blaze Orange? Like, I see in some, some U.S. states like Montana, Colorado, uh, they put flagging on the packs. You wear an orange hat or a vest. Saskatchewan. Um, Saskatchewan. You got to be white or blaze, right? Yeah, you got to be. I mean, I'm used to that. I come here and, you know, it's all about, you know, camo and all that stuff. I get it. But um, what do you think that what, would you guys be okay with it? I mean, for archery hunting, it's a, it's a non-issue usually, but for, for, for rifle hunting in this country? So, so here's a statistic. What is one of the safest sports you can do in North America? Archery. 
it has a less than one percent um, injury rate. I was in gonna all say, of North I was America. Say soccer. No, nope, <laughs> real, one real injury. Yeah, <laughs> less than one percent, and it covers the largest demographic of people in North America. There's five year olds to ninety five year olds shooting bows in North America, with a less than one percent uh, injury rate. And in Canada, no one has ever been actually. Sh- in Canada, no one has accidentally been shot and killed. In the U.S., no one has been accidentally shot and killed. They've been shot on purpose <laughs> because they got too close to somebody's choke, um, tree stand. Right. But no one's actually been shot and killed by accident with a bow and arrow. So you're advocating we just go to archery? No, I'm just saying <laughs> it's just a very, it's just a very safe. It's a very safe form of hunting. But what about blaze orange? I don't know. You know, honestly, blaze for rifle, I'm okay with it. Blaze orange, if it was uh, an issue and and a safety issue where it was going to make that much of yeah, a difference, if they could prove a need for it, I don't but think anybody honestly, would complain. I haven't seen a hunter in probably eight years. Look across the table. No, I mean, like, sorry, in the field. In oh, the field. gotcha. Oh, I see yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> like, like it, it's super common. Uh, you know, one of the first years my son, uh, I took my son up north in Saskatchewan in the Crown Forest. A father saw to sh- uh, shot his son while we were out. Uh, they were a few m- miles from us when it happened. We heard the gunshot. Didn't know that he'd killed him. But um, blaze orange at low light, well, right so- on a tree line. Uh, tough. He saw movement, pulled the trigger, and yeah. shot his son in the head. Somebody so. was at last year, Mark, or two years ago, that was shot on the back of an ATV up around Pink Mountain because they thought oh, it was, that was, he, a, few, he was, that was a bison. A, that was a few years back now. Yeah, a couple years anyway. But yeah, yeah. that, I mean, thought he, Blaze thought he Orange. Was a bison. Yeah, Blaze Orange would have saved it. Blaze Orange, animals don't see that color anyway. Yep. So it wouldn't make a difference whether you're wearing Blaze Orange anyway. Like, I'm okay with, I've, I'm okay with something like, if, if the province wanted to come out and say, during a rifle season, you have to wear Blaze Orange, Fine. Even as a vest or a hat. A vest or a you know, hat. Pro- I'd be okay with that. One of the scariest times to be a hunter or to be out hunting is last light. Low light, yeah. Walking on, uh, say, a B road. Yep. Oh, and God. And you've got a small kid with you. I've been scoped You a few know, times. where, where yeah. you look like a cow calf walking down yep. the road. Yeah. In yeah. camel, in yep. dark clothes. Yeah. I've, and I've been there, and it's like you basically got to just either jump off the road or start waving your arms. Yeah, that's exactly you know? what it is. Have you guys ever caught? I've caught people. Um, through my field glasses, glassing from a ground blind, I've caught guys like with their rifle up. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Looking yeah. at me through the scope, like a couple you know, of times. Yeah, exactly. And 100%. it's like, yeah, finger goes up. It's like, hey, yeah. dude. Maybe, it's like the maybe, fist pumps yeah, coming, buddy. Exactly. Get going. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, you see the vehicle coming towards you. You're walking back to yours, and the, the people get out, and you're like, oh shit. And you start waving, <laughs> and oh, it's happened to me a few times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know a, a friend of mine. He got scoped. I don't know. It seemed like almost every day he was hunting. He was bow hunting. Like, we bow hunt. So he was bow hunting uh, the telechuck, and he was, like, scoped four times in, like, five days. The next time out, he took his rifle, and somebody scoped him. So he scoped him right back. And then the guy was like, whoa. Oh, then they get mad at you for doing that, right? Yeah. So I I think the lesson learned there is, like, don't use your scope. You don't need to. Optics are cheap now. You can go out and you can buy an eight by forty two set of binoculars for two hundred bucks that are better than half the stuff that ever was out in the eighties and nineties. How big are optics for everybody in their hunting? Well, <laughs> uh, rifle scope. It just in general, like how many, like uh, how important? Bino, binos, hundred oh. percent. Yeah, you have to identify your game. You're not going to be able to see a two inch spike from two hundred yards yep. away. Yeah, yep. you're you not going to see that at hundred yards away. Yeah, half the time. You know, 
I, I didn't have any great gear until about 12 years ago. I've told the story before where uh, I was uh, moose hunting my first year here and up by my place and saw that uh, what I thought was a cow calf. And right across the road from your house. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> pretty much. So <laughs> scared the shit out of the neighbor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I watched it for 10, 15 minutes and then finally with like the old uh, Canadian tire bushnels yeah, and yeah, it yeah. put its ears down. I went, oh, shit. And bang, it's now on my wall. But uh, I... The binoculars? Yeah, the binoculars. Yeah, the binoculars. Yeah, okay. Great yeah. binos, yeah. man. Yeah. Some Shot of the nicest binos I've ever seen. <laughs> so I ended up with Zeiss. I got the Zeiss Conquests, and I've, I've run until recently Remington, Walmart gear, uh, crappy, just everything. But the, where I've been consistent is I've got Leupold or Zeiss on my rifles and Zeiss on my pack for, uh, for good, optics. Yeah, good optics. I, I, I'm just... I'm surprised how under how underemphasized. You know, Omer from Precision made a really good point one time. I was talking to him about rifle scopes, and you know, looking at I was looking at different ones. He said, honestly, he said as as much as it's important, he said you look through a rifle scope for uh, uh, maybe a handful of minutes at best, and sometimes just a handful of seconds. He said you spend the bulk of your time Hours. if you're hunting properly, looking on through binos. On, on, on binos, binos or a spotting yeah. scope. He said, you can get by with a cheap rifle and a cheaper scope. Yep. You cannot get by on cheap optics. Yep. He said that that's where he thinks most, and I think it's a great point. You know, he thinks that uh, most people cheap out on optics. Clarity. Particularly when you're trying to look at, you know, as a guy that, you know, at someday I'll, I'll go sheep hunting. But I've, you know, some of the pictures that get posted and guys are saying like false annuli. And I'm like, how the fuck do you tell? Like, it makes me super nervous. Like when, when with, it, without good optics, there's no way you're going to see that. At there's no way. No, I mean, and and with sheep hunting especially is like that can be the difference between you getting a sheep and not because you know what you can be three, four, five, six kilometers away, and you can tell whether something is going to be worth going to get a yeah. closer look at or not, and that can like kick the crap. It could take you two days to get there, and it right. not be a legal ram. Totally. Yep. And right. yet, and yet, there's rams that you see in your binos, and you're like, holy crap, that's legal, and you don't even. You have crappy, but like crappy yep. optics, and you you look at it and you go, "Yep, he's legal," and you don't even need to yep. count rings. And it's you can just tell. You, yep. you walk. Who said that? Um, uh, famous sheep hunter. I've totally gone blank. Um, shot two seventy all the time. No. Anyways, anyways, oh, come on, guys. We all know this. O'Connor, O'Connor, <laughs> O'Connor. Yeah, I believe he said, "Walk the miles up behind your binoculars, binoculars or something yeah, like yeah. that." Totally. Let the binos do the walking for you. And yeah. that's exactly what I was saying. Is yeah. like the the amount of physical abuse you can save yourself by going. Oh, you know, it could yeah, be like I said, sense. it could be two days to get there. Oh yeah, right. You go through a nasty, nasty, you know, river crossings and through some of the thickest crap ever. Oh, it can yeah. take you a long time to get there, Absolutely. and you get there. And it's not something that's worth going after. And now all of a sudden you see something that's 12 kilometers away in the direction you just came from. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of, you know, I've been to the mountains 10, 12 times and I've, I've seen the game. I haven't been successful, but I've seen the game. Yep. So there's been a point in my life where of course I've got a big family. I start kind of thinking, okay, well, what am I hunting? Am I going to eat sheep or am I going to eat an elk or am I going to eat a moose? Yeah. That's kind of something that, comes up to my Yeah, but you, you get one sheep and then you're never hunting elk again. No. <laughs> right? You're going to be eating sheep. Yeah, if yeah, it's yeah. for table fare. Yeah. But uh, I've done some pretty awesome trips. Kachika was a pretty awesome trip. Yeah. But what, so I heard this, uh, so my buddy that's uh, leaving on this uh, this jet boat trip, his son's up uh, uh, sheep hunting right now. 
and uh, he said he he said I you know obviously you know I'm my son probably doesn't want to hunt with me anymore because I'm quite a bit older than he is, uh, and I slow him down. But he said I'll tell you this. He said I he misses a lot of game because he doesn't pause to glass. He said I see four times the game he does. Yes, I move slower, but I use those binos and I can pick apart a hillside for a long time before you commit. And you know the shitty part for me is I look back at some of the hunting in Saskatchewan even. You know, when you just pay attention, you can look out, you know, a kilometer and a half across a field and look and go, I don't see anything. And then you get a really good set of binos and just sit there and watch for 45 minutes. And all of a sudden you realize there's there's bucks bedded right along the tree line that, you know, the young Don would have went, fuck this, we're out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and now I look back after being here and, and using binos quite a bit to glass hillsides and you get out at some of these ridges and roads. I glass a lot and you're like, uh, if you just wait long enough, yep. like optics are everything. It's actually kind of funny, but I think it comes with your maturity. Right. But glassing just becomes almost like part of your hunt. It's yep. actually quite enjoyable because you spot quite a bit of game glassing. Oh, I love glassing. Yep. You know, yep. I, I'm getting to the point where I glass every day almost. You know, it doesn't matter where I'm going. Yep. I always got a set of yep. binoculars with me and I'm checking stuff out. One of the, one of the best uh, tips I ever got as a young hunter was – use your glass in the bush when you're in the bush hunting use your glass and that's one of the cornerstones cornerstones of still hunting archery in northern bc is take 10 steps and glass glass take 10 steps glass cut that you know cut that bush apart so that you've gridded the bush in front of you and you know exactly like it might be an ear twitch that catches you it might Mm -hmm. be a the tip of a an elk handler i've had elk come in silently and look at me with their eye, and all you see is the eye. Yeah. And maybe, you know, two tips coming off the top. They're so well hidden. <laughs> and you're not going to yeah. see that unless you have great optics. Not you don't need. You but you, you have to spend the time. Gr- yeah, but great you, but optics. But, but, you just need optics so that you can look. And, and they don't need it. to be good. You just need them, and you need to use them, and use them to the best of your ability. I've had I've had a, kind of a deja vu moment there, like the last two days of hunting this season. I've had my two younger hunters with me, eight and 14, or sorry, 10 and 14. So we're, I've had deja vu where I'm standing in the open, which is kind of a no-no. Right. And I have, ha- I've, I just have this feeling, why are we here calling right now? You know, there we are calling on this hillside, long straight stretch, but it's a beautiful straight stretch. It's growing in, but you have a bird's eye view. And I got my son raking away and I just have this deja vu. All of a sudden, I look over, and there's a big, beautiful elk standing there looking at us going, what the hell are you guys doing up there, you know? (laughs) And that has happened to me so many times. And when you're younger, you just know better. But it happens. Yeah. You know, with with the optics, my kids, like, my kids all have the good gear. My two older kids, I use their binoculars. (laughs) 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 Like, we all share our gear kind of in a sense. Dad buys all the calls, the scent. And they have some of the nicest gear. So my, right now, I'm borrowing my daughter's office. Okay, so let's. <laughs> I'm gonna have two two questions for you guys. What's the What's the number one What's the number one piece of gear you you think is the will you you take in the field all the time? And what's the best tip or trick that you've learned for in hunting? Something that I am so glad somebody taught me that, or I learned that. And what's What's the one piece of kit that you will never be without when you go in the field? <laughs> Well, for for me, the kit is the binoculars. We've uh, all all yapped about how important they are, just to take the time to glass. Right. 
but the best best tip is always check check behind you uh you never know what's waiting for you to, to walk ahead of them right can't tell you how many times well you've seen it we've we've been walking and then we come back a couple hundred yards later and go oh shit wolf track or coyote track or comes out behind or, you. Yep. or mountain lion track down when we were down the batanuni area yeah yeah um it's hell this this past uh christmas time we were out for links and uh, we, we had the call out in front you were down the road and we had coyotes going on the other side and i just did the it's been a few minutes since i looked behind me and oh shit there's a links at about 30 yards that i ended up taking so yeah it's, it's always check behind you for me, I would say, you know, you spot your animal and you start going after it and you know where it should be. And then all of a sudden you get to the point where you think that you can see it. And instead of getting super frustrated and kind of, you know, being like, okay, well, this is just another busted stock or this is a, you know what, just take a second and, and kind of the same idea as what Chad said, you know, take 10 steps and check it out with binoculars. You know, it could be behind a bush. It could be, but there's been so many times where, you know, you step on a stick and you're like, okay, yeah, I just totally botched that. Right. And you get a little bit frustrated and maybe you come out of your sneak a little bit and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, holy crap, there it is. Right. And so for me, um, you know, when I was younger, I'm super impatient as a person. That's just who I am, like 100 percent. And so I was like, oh, great, I broke a stick and it's not standing where it was. So, you know, you kind of get up and you kind of, you know, you're not paying attention. All of a sudden you look over 30 yards and here it is just like staring right at you and be like, man, I really wish I would have just kept sneaking in the way that I should have instead of just, you know, getting ticked off at myself and thinking it was done. Yes. And so, yeah, for me, it's just kind of continuing the stock, even though you think that, you know, it, yeah. it may be done. A little bit extra time, yeah. Absolutely. Always keep hunting. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. You know, you look for that opportunity. Well, Chad spent eight years looking for the opportunity with his elk, right? And, you know, it worked out good for him. But if all of a sudden you spend that amount of time and then just out of impatience or frustration, or this is what always happens to me for the last eight years, this is how it always is. You have the choice to get frustrated and, you know, ticked off or whatever, or you can stay focused. And I guess that, that's one of the things too, I think as hunters, everybody that's sitting around the table right now, you'd all agree that every hunter, you, you start to mature more and more, whether it's taking better shots or whether it's making sure that, you know, you're taking a good rest or making sure that, you know, whether it's safety, whether it's whatever else you go through these phases where you look back 10 years and you look back 20 years and, you know, some of the older people and stuff like that, it's like, man, you know what? I've come a long ways, not necessarily even in skill, but I've just, I've learned so much of the things that I used to do. It's not the way that it should be done. And I, the only thing that I can say is that like what the word I would use to describe that is just maturity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, you gotta learn. You gotta learn. You make mistakes. We all. I think the, one of the biggest, most common things everybody has as a hunter that we have in common is we've all made the same mistakes. Yep. Yeah. 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 And that goes that goes all the way from if you're it doesn't matter who you're if you're a truck hunter if you're a professional hunter you're a celebrity hunter we've all made the same mistakes. Yep. 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 Just because you're on TV doesn't mean you're, you know free from those mistakes you made them yeah yeah we all make them and you just got to keep pushing and learning if you're not learning something new outside every time you go sorry but you're doing something wrong and you're not getting better no you're not you're stagnant yeah you may love being outside but if you're not learning something new may i suggest hiking yeah yeah (laughs) that's a simple one (laughs) but what so what so what's a tip that so what's a tip or trick or something that you think was pivotal so one of the big things that i learned one of the biggest um, um, tips when it came, like, especially for elk hunting was call silent. It was which? Call silent. Call as quietly as you can call. Elk are a very loud animal, but when they're actually coming in, they, they call real, 
They call quietly. They're linguistic. Yep. yep. Professionals. Yep. Sure. And then my other one is don't be silent. <laughs> it might it might contradict everything that we all think, but when you're elk hunting, they're loud. Yep. They're breaking sticks. They're moving. You don't have to be you don't have to be predator quiet. In fact, in a lot of cases, if you're that quiet and you spook an animal, they think you're a predator and they're gone. And they're gone. Yep. Whereas if you're making a little bit of noise, you know, just take your time. You can walk, take 10 steps, take a little break, take 10 more steps. That's what animals do. These animals are used to animal sounds in the bush. Natural. Natural. When an, when a predator shows up, it's being stealth quiet. Yep. And it's that's what's spooks weird. them and they'll be gone. They get weary really quick. Yeah. And that's like, kind of why I've resorted to letting my kids start elk hunting with me. Yeah. <laughs> just you don't keep them loud? No, because you know, I used to be thinking you know to be elk hunting you got to be like a ninja a hunting yeah. ninja you know but chad's absolutely right it's it's more about being natural and yeah. the kids with me like they understand what, what the goal is they understand what the game plan is we stick to it they love playing the game it's it's but, exactly but elk are, elk natural are, elk yeah. are a herd animal they're vocal they 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 want to hear other elk they're okay with hearing other elk I've gone into situations elk hunting with five guys. I have no problems. We could all go out tomorrow, six guys elk hunting, and have a great day elk hunting, as long as you sound like elk. I heard. Yeah. 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 And you don't try to have conversations in the bush. Yeah. No conversations in the bush. <laughs> well, sometimes it works. Not sometimes like this. it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not like. <laughs> but there's so. I mean, there's so many little tips and tricks. Like one, another good one is I won't, I won't, will not leave the truck without my GPS. Right. And it's not because I don't know how to get back. It's because I use that thing like a map. That's my map. I go, okay, here's a salt lick. It's into it. Here's these are the borders. Here's here's how I'm going. And that's a lot of times. I remember one time I met up with Peter and he was kind of, I think, a little pissy at me, but whatever. He comes into the block <laughs> and he throws his hands up and he's like, What are you doing here? You're with how your cousin. No, uh Wasn't no, I was cousin? no the I other was with time another guy. Him off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, I remember him. He he had his bow in one hand because it was archery season and he had his rifle in his other hand. And he kind of went like this and he, we get together and start talking. He's like, How did you guys get in here? Well, I'm like, Well, I followed this road that came in the other way. But that was because I had the GPS, GPS that showed an opposite way in. Yeah. And and that is um you know um that is saved me days finding areas that has saved me time packing animal animals out i mean to tell you the truth you can go into the bush with your rifle you can go in with the best optics you can go in all that but i'll take a gps over do you guys do do you scout your areas um on maps like google earth and stuff in advance uh, or topo maps or we've already known them for so many years yeah, yeah. i think a lot of it is, is uh knowing the areas do you carry spare batteries uh yes. Yeah. Always. I have a little battery kit I carry. Yeah, me too. If I'm if I'm local, if I'm staying local and I'm home every night then no. But typically now I do because I got I was out elk hunting a few years ago and um I'm walking back. I actually ha and I was walking back a way that I had never walked back. So I I was I I have my GPS out and the battery's died. I had enough time to take a line of sight with a compass. So I used the compass out. Out. But yeah, no that was that you think that's a lost art? 100%. Absolutely yeah. it is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's pretty sad, actually. That How many people can't take a bearing? Right? Yeah. Yes. And, and, and you know, compasses don't need to be, I mean, just take a 
your north south bearing yeah to get back to your truck like you really don't need to do much but i'll tell you what when your batteries go and you're still four or five k away from your truck in a part of the bush you've never actually walked yeah and you come into um a pine forest that's laying six feet above the ground crisscrossed you can't really climb them trees when you weigh 220 pounds. No, no, you cannot. And when you do, it's pretty risky. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I, for me, it wouldn't just be GPS. I think the, the number one piece of kit that I think I'm I, – I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. I, I mean, it, it, and it's been a latecomer. It's only in the last eight years. But my, my um, uh, inReach, mm-hmm. like that's not for me. No, you that's know, for like, everybody else. It, it's but my wife after you know was it how long did it take before you finally but you, you and my my wife was all over me but you finally got one mm-hmm. and my wife's like why the hell do you not like I'm you you leave in the morning and you come home after dark and you're three hundred kilometers from town in some direction like how about yeah. and there's no cell service and I never thought about it I'm like well I, I don't know where the fuck I'm going like. What's your problem? I'm fine, you know. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but I don't know where you are. What happens when something happens? Like that thing to me is that that's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. And I now that I have it, I get super twitched out. If if I don't have that thing, I have to have it. I will not leave without it. My, now. my rule for my wife is: if I'm not home the next day by noon, start thinking about sending someone out. Totally. Oh, I thought you were going to say get remarried. No, okay, well, no. there's that too. <laughs> no, there's way more reasons for that there. No, it's, it's, I've spent nights before in reach, before spot, I've spent nights in the bush because we were stuck. Yeah. And that is not a good feeling. Because you know it, you're leaving everybody hanging, right? Well, I know that, I, actually, no. I know that we're going to get out of it because most, there's people everywhere in our bush. Yeah. You only have to walk 10K down a road and you're on a main road. You just have to yeah. wait for a car. Yep. Like yeah. I knew I was going to get out of it. We weren't that bad of a pickle, but like your friends, your family, like they're freaking out. They don't know where you are. You're not home. It's after dark. I hopefully think now that my wife knows I'm a little bit more responsible in the fact that I carry enough food for usually a day or two. I can stretch it for two or three days. The food I carry, I carry a sill tarp. I carry, you know, game bags that can be used for ground. You can put them on the ground and lay on them and it, you yep. know, helps keep some of the heat in. I carry a lot of times now. I carry my jet boil. Yeah, yeah. Jet boil is a good. I one. actually yeah. carry enough water. I can. I'll cook coffee in the middle of the day. It, the, the, the joke's always how much shit I have in my truck, and then how much <laughs> stuff I have in my day pack. But to me, I plan for like I I'm always equipped for yep. the 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 what if. And in Saskatchewan, I mean, you could usually. I mean, other than up by my mother in law's where I used to hunt, that's remote ish. But otherwise, you're usually a few, a couple of clicks from a farmhouse, right? Yeah. But here, after I got here a little bit, like you, you need water, right? Oh, 100%. You, yeah. you need water. A compass yeah. is a good thing to have. The jet boil, all of a sudden, for me, is something I, well, I absolutely you want. You look at you the know? weight yeah. of a jet boil, the jet boil oh, weighs a pound, you know? Yeah. And it, it if you are soaking wet and maybe lost, yep. you can boil up and have an instant coffee. Or just hot water. Just Even, having a hot drink when you're cold. Yeah. Mine, that changes your day. That keeps you in the field. For sure Hell it yeah. does. Yeah. Right? Hell yeah. Yeah. Especially you, now, like, even when I'm elk hunting, I carry that uh, siltarp. And if I want to get out of the rain now, I pop up. that siltarp up on my hiking poles. And my poles are always with me, actually. That's something that always is with me is hiking poles hiking now. Hiking poles. Um, I pop that up. I make a little tarp, boil up a coffee. You're out of the rain. You You warm yourself up. And, and now you're good to go for the rest of the day in the rain. Now, yep. I also know I don't hunt in the rain when it comes to elk. 
Yeah. I'll, you can go out, get wet, but typically there's not a lot of action in the rain. You know, it's funny that you, but it, it just in, on that, one of the things that Mark and I talked about a while ago, we were, and, and it's true, when you love hunting, right, it's it's like I need to spend more time out there. I need to spend more time out there. I need to spend more time out there, right? Because yeah. you love it, you love it, you love it. My wife's gripe about it, and it's fair, is that she said, okay, well, if you were into bowling or golf, when you're gone, you're gone for four hours. You go play 18 holes, maybe you have a beer with your buddies and you come home. When you go bowling, you're gone for three hours and you come home. You want to go to the gym, you're gone for two hours. She said, the problem with you as, a, as an effing hunter is that you leave in the dark and you come home maybe, right? And it's like, where are you? I don't know. What yeah. are you doing? And, and it's like, you, you want to be gone all day. And then she said, when we were in Saskatchewan, it's like, I got to deal with five weeks, so five weekends of whitetail plus your five-day trip. And then five or six weeks of you and coyote, coyote hunting, and that's <laughs> it. And I got my husband back. She said, we come out here and it's like, oh, it's lynx season. Oh, it's elk season. Oh, it's bear season. Oh, it's grouse season. Oh, now we're fishing. And you're gone all freaking day. But one of the things that I found super interesting in going into this season, I spent way more time shooting, working on landscape projects, um, got my spring bear, and then stopped hunting. Like, kind of got it. And I was like, I helped. St I went out with Steve a little bit, tried to help Steve get his. But it's fun to put time in, but you get burnt out too. I, what I, there's this fine, for me at least, there's this fine line, and this is the thing that Mark and I have talked about, where it's like, I don't want to make it so this feels like work. Where it's like, I need to get something back out of this. Like I, all this time and the money I spend on the kit and the effort and, and going out there. The second, because there's times for me where hunting started to feel, particularly when we got into the, you know, some of the winters here. Like, I mean, like coyote, like coyote and wolf hunting is, that's they're drooling, a... They're drooling and very challenging. It, it, but, and it just, you know, on snowshoes all day and gone all day and putting the miles on and trying to see stuff and nothing's happening and it just wears you down. Well, and it's one of those things where for me, um, and I used to do the exact same thing, where you actually almost feel guilty for not going out. You have a day off and it's beautiful, minus 25, minus 30 day, and you know where there's a pack of wolves or, yeah. you know, close. And, but at the same time, you maybe want to get some stuff done around the house or you just want to have a lazy day. You want to have one day to sleep in and then you wake up that morning, you know, and it's 8.30. And it's like, man, I should have been out in the bush. I should have been out there trying for the wolves. And you know what? When it gets to that point for me, when I start to put pressure on myself yeah. that I have to be out there is when it stops, it stops yeah. being fun for me. See, I, I always... More, more in the past, less now. I always had the pressure. I just felt it. It was just, mm -hmm. it was part yeah, of. Sure. It's part of who I am. Right. Is having that, that pressure to, I don't know. It's maybe it's call it a competitiveness. Mm -hmm. I've always just felt it, but now, I just kind of know. Like, there's literally mornings where you can step out your door, take a breath of the air, and go, "It's happening today." Yeah, yeah, but there's other days. Right? There's like, other days like when it's raining. I don't even want to get out of like bed. bear hunting. <laughs> yeah, for for me, it was spring bear hunting. I'm I'm new to it. I didn't start doing it until 2015. You know, but I you know I get a tip from Mark and Steve. It's like okay, super windy, kind of no oh, point. Yeah. Yeah. Windy, but you know, for me, they would tell me that and be like, "Fuck that, you guys stay home." Then I'm in the truck and uh, we're driving. I'm hiking. I'm soaked. 
right? I'm fueling up mid-afternoon in Bear Lake. I'm shivering to death. I'm just about got hypothermia and the well, cold you know, wind. And it's like, I haven't seen a bear all day. And they're like, you could have stayed home and watched TV. Like, you, yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. need to be out there on the grind that hard, right? No, and then that's part about maturing and, and spending the time. Like, bear hunting. Here's a prime example. I'll sleep in every day yep. bear hunting. I will not get up in the morning. <laughs> no. You might get lucky. You might yeah, get lucky and get a bear, a big bear in the morning. One in the afternoon but, is perfect well yeah. one o'clock in the <laughs> yeah. no literally yeah. Yeah. we've actually taken records of this like marked it down noted it multiple times you don't start seeing bears till one o'clock they're yep. lazy yeah they're super lazy but i yeah, yeah but you, you have to go through that yeah right that i just was, that was something that was uh it was actually hilarious when i guided down on vancouver island that's what it was it was a spring bear and you get the hunters in there and they're all gung-ho and yeah. they want to go and you know whatever else for us we didn't leave the cat like we had a floating uh cabin on the ocean there on the coast and we wouldn't leave until 11 30 or noon and they're yeah. just chomping at the bit and it's like you can take my word for it or if you want to i'm going to bring a pillow and a sleeping bag and tomorrow we'll get out there at first light and i'm going to sleep while you guys glass because yeah. we're not seeing nothing and you're right? glassing at high tide exactly no bears on the beach anyway <laughs> weird yeah. There, yeah there is no beach yeah, yeah. <laughs> shocking yeah. but it but but you you're you're right when it comes to the hunting is an all-day thing you my wife struggled with it. My wife, I think, still struggles with it because to her, in her mind, you you have to be home five o'clock for dinner. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, no, we'll be home. At, like, we're not going to eat dinner till midnight. And then we're going to get up at 3 a.m. and do it again. And then we're going to yeah. do it again, just so you know. Like, yeah, taking my wife out one time bear hunting and show her what we call, you know, what bear o'clock, like right after four o'clock in, oh, in that, in, that in May, May and June. Prime time. And like, we're not seeing bears all day. I took her out for an all day marathon. And I said, well, right around bear o'clock. And then between like four and seven, we saw like 18 bears. And she's like, okay, okay, I'll stop. I get it. I get it. I get it. Right. But that leads back to your whole, you know, having spot and letting people know, know where you are, where you yeah. are, whether it's just a, hey, I'm safe. Here I am. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's another thing too. It's, it's awesome to be prepared to have your sail tarps and jet boils and all that kind of stuff. But if you get attacked by a grizzly bear and he rips your legs off, or, you know, something oh, like yeah. that happens or you break your leg or you do something like that and you're way down in the middle. And you know what? It, people don't want to say it because, you know, the, the grizzly closures, it's, it hasn't been that long. It's been that many years, but we're seeing the impacts already. It's been and like you said, it's our fourth year right now. Right? I, I was yeah. going to say 17, it, uh, 2021 third, will be fourth, third, third year. Yeah. But so, there is a noticeable difference in the amount of grizzly bears that you see. And it's worse. Like for, oh, me, gotcha. for, <laughs> yeah. for me, I don't hunt elk around Prince George. I hunt them in the open fields up in Fort St. John. And it's fairly safe. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's safe yeah. up there, but you know what, for you guys that are going out there with, you know, archery gear and stuff like that, going after the grizzly bears, no, like no, 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 we're not. They're we're after. after or, or, sorry, bear. sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're, sorry, you're you're going after the elk, and the grizzly bears are coming into your call, right? That's where it's nice to have that in reach. If all of a sudden something does go sideways, right? But like, um, not to be ignorant, but you know, grizzly bears are quite intelligent. Very. And, and I was on to a fairly remote elk last year with my oldest son and his girlfriend, and uh, we hiked in in the dark. How often are you hiking in the dark? Almost every time. Mm -hmm. We got in there, um, Avery spots an elk. We bunker down. There's fog rolling in. We call this elk in. It comes between me and Avery. And it, it, it spooks, starts barking, takes off. So I start barking. And then all of a sudden we hear our bull bugle. And I'm like, that's him, right? So we start hiking. We get to the bottom end and we set up again. So we're, we've just basically hiked a quarter mile across this logging block. Grizzly starts coming across the block. 
my kids going, there's a big bear coming. I'm like, it's not that big. Right. And I'm glass and watching them. I'm like, let's just let them be still foggy. Yeah. And fog's rolling off. Sun's okay. coming up because we've been there over an hour, you know, sun's coming up. It's probably eight 30 in the morning. And, uh, that the way the tree line cut towards us, it was probably 150 yards. Well, the bear ends up right in the middle of the road while we kept calling, trying to entice the elk opposite direction. And, uh, it was probably one of the most beautiful grizzly bears I've ever seen. This was last year, the very last day of the season. And it was probably all of nine feet. Wow. Yeah. And it was the typical blonde, like the logs in this room. Yep. You know, and it just sat there. I'm checking the wind. And I said to the kids, well, just look at the wind. If he jumps down into the lower end of this block, that's our, we got to go. You know, he sat there for 10 minutes. None of our, all of our phones were dead. We couldn't get photos of this guy. Just the most beautiful bear. And uh, he ended up, sure enough, jump, going down below us. And I knew he was just going to try to circle around. And we just took the note. You got you to gotta go. Then yeah. we hiked up the top of the hill. And I'm like, you can see the tracks everywhere now. <laughs> right? <laughs> but why are we leaving? Would that bear have really bothered us if we would have stayed on that elk? You know, like we usually... Right, if you would have, right, shot, right if you would have pulled that trigger. trigger. Yeah. When, yeah once right. the elk that is could down. have been... A, that, that, it's after that trigger's pulled, that's yeah. probably more the worry. For sure. And it's a risk-reward situation, yeah. right? Like even if there's a 10% chance, for sure. You know what? The majority of grizzly bears, when they're charging or bluff charges... You know what? I want to put that out there right away. It's not like they're we're fear mongering or any of that kind of stuff whatsoever. But there is a threat, and the thing is, is if it gets on top of you, you're in trouble. Oh yeah, right. right yeah. And so it, it's. But it's, what's what's that reality? Is what is that chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess that said, you know, depending on where you, what jurisdiction and what province or state you're from, you know, for some people, um, I think what they miss, maybe in, particularly in northern BC and in, in the interior of BC. Um, is that we have we, that that's a unique thing that we it's not when I'm hunting in Saskatchewan for in, even in the forest there's black bears and yes yeah. we just had a there's a, a tragedy in, in, in Buffalo Narrows in Saskatchewan that's a that's a freak show rare occurrence with the black bear killing that uh, Stephanie Blaze but it doesn't happen very often but I could tell you and all the the whitetail hunting I did in the forest I I, I was never sitting there thinking about or looking over your shoulder I was never looking over my shoulder because I mean yeah there's bears and some wolves and cougars but I'm not obsessed with it but I get out here and this is some dense 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 country we hunt in you get into some of these alders and these willow flats and stuff and you start walking and it's you know it's four or five feet above you and you can't see through it and you're trying to get out into a meadow it is a little unnerving when you, and it's, ha- I mean, I've had, we all, and everybody here knows I had a couple of not so great encounters with grizzly bears that thankfully didn't go, uh, they didn't go badly, but very easily could have that, you know, when I fell off that, that log this uh, fall or spring, that could have went real bad, real fast, you know, and there was, you know, less than 60 feet between me and a seven and a half foot boar. Good thing he was, ten, you know, he was a, he was a good bear, but I mean, how many, I saw grizzly bears every single time I went black. We were in the day, in the field, a total of nine days. We saw grizzly bears every single day. At least one. Yeah. I I went hunting, I went spring bear twice this year. First day out, we saw four grizzlies. That was you and Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. I showed the pictures there. I snuck, I decided that it would be smart with no bear spray to get closer to the big one. But, uh, yeah, we, we saw another bear in the, a spot that I've seen bears now every year for the last 10 years. Every year, like clockwork, you can go there on the same day in May and you're going to see a grizzly. 
And if you walk down the pipeline just a little uh, up, just a little ways, you'll find that one of their rub trees. Wow. And you can go there, and it's going to be covered in grizzly hair. It's going to be covered in deer hair and moose hair and elk hair. But that grizzly, those grizzlies go there on a regular basis. Well, I mean, and, and I think the grizzly bear debate, um, I think it will rear its head. I, I know that, uh, you know, Steve and I just sat down, uh, our last episode, we sat down with Chad Norman Day from the Teltan First Nation. And, I mean, it's become a, a significant concern for them. Uh, he's been very outspoken that it's, to yeah. him, it's becoming a dangerous place for anybody that's it's in that territory, whether you're, you know, working in mining or surveying or whatever. There's just too many of them. Um, we find it here all the time, um, more and more and more. I think what you're, what you're going to see and what you are seeing in areas is people are just going to take it into their own hands. Yeah. And especially, you know, like the Taltan, they're just going to start doing it. And, and I've heard reports where, you know, the, the, uh, um, indigenous communities have been start, are starting to get asked to take care of the problem grizzlies. Because if the CO does it, it's a media fiasco. Yeah. Because yeah. the anti hunters are even jumping on them just trying to protect a community. Yeah. yeah. And that's not right. Yeah. Unfortunately, these are our communities. These are where people live. Bears have no place where people live. We should not have bears in our community. Yeah. As much as they want to have a bylaw saying that we have to have our fruit fruit off the tree by whatever it is, October tenth, or yeah. you gotta have all your garbage locked up in your your garage well that's not a reality like these are human communities we need we we should not we aren't made to coexist in our habitats with bears Uh, bears aren't supposed to be there we don't live well together the the, the bear human conflict is uh is a reality we're actually going to talk to to steve ackles about that next week uh the our the boss man CO is going to be on our next episode. And that's one of the things we're going to talk a little bit about as bears. But um, so a couple more questions before we wrap things up. Does anybody have a worst hunting experience that, uh, or a funny hunting experience that is extremely embarrassing that they want to share with us? Absolutely not. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> man, I, I could talk for the next two hours on embarrassing and, you know, funny and whatever things uh probably no definitely not my most embarrassing because i'm not going there um (laughs) but yeah it's frustrating right so uh coyote hunting and i had been practicing at the range the day before at i think 500 yards or something i have is this the canada goose story yes excellent (laughs) no uh (laughs) no no that was a different one that was was actually i got video of that yeah i know yeah that was good no um you have this uh this coyote and this thing call call it in and it comes right in and it's at like 60 70 yards away sort of a thing and i've got my sticks out the call's going and it's perfect it's broadside and i shoot and it's not even in the vicinity i can't even see where the, there's snow all around i should be able to see splash I should be able to see something had absolutely no clue and so this thing takes off and it wasn't until i you know hiked all the way out got back to the truck that i realized that my turret was still dialed for you know the four or five hundred yards that i've been shooting the day before Nothing more frustrating than that. Uh, been there, did that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, well, as long as we're talking about coyote hunting, Don and I, the uh, the 250 Predator guys, the ones that are the uh, the 
the, the gurus when it comes to predator hunting. Uh, we, 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 yeah, yeah, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the gurus, I like yeah. that. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, this, this yeah. is priceless. Yeah, yeah. We, we took Dustin out uh, coyote hunting, and we're, we're telling him, this is what you need to do, and this is how it's going to work. And, and it's middle- We're in a cut block. That's, yeah. And we set it up just to, we're in a smoldering, smoldering pile. Smoldering pile. Right? And we set it up right on the edge of a road. We're standing there yakking not paying attention turn the call on start talking trying to explain what's going on oh it, w- it was great like literally the 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 old burn pile is still smoldering and we're going okay well there's a draw right here and the wind's blowing this way chances are it'll come over here and we're just we're we, we know it all right we've killed lots and we're, we're talking and dustin's between us and the call what 30 yards at best yeah and about four seconds and 40 seconds into our 40 little- seconds yeah less than a minute into the call set dustin goes uh guys and look and there's a coyote literally three feet from the goddamn call staring at us and we're going uh not not a bullet in a gun not a bullet in a gun we didn't have nothing not not a guy like ready to shoot oh it it was hilarious dustin's like oh what do i do i'm like and it was gone not what you just saw so yeah uh, yeah it was it was pretty good so so now we just run a a predator page Um, (laughs) yeah exactly and that's all we are we're admin staff exactly clerical staff yeah, get paid big bucks to kill them, right? But yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm uh, I'm I, the only time I'd ever bear hunted ever. I, I it was uh, just the like the second year that my wife and I were together. So my father-in-law invites me up in June, builds a big stand. Uh, so we put it between two trees, big plywood thing. It's got a rail around it. Put a couple of you know pop-up chairs, and. He sets me up there. Now he drives me out in the middle of nowhere. And remember, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I've been hunting flatland, cropland, you know, from friends' farms, not out in the bush. So we quad out to this place and he says, okay, we're going to start here. You're going to, I'm going to put you in the stand at about three o'clock. And then when it's dark, you climb down and he said, and I'm going to leave your quad about 800 yards over there. And you're going to walk back to the quad and you can drive back. And I, he, I only knew the way in one time. I helped him build the stand. We built the stand. He brought me back out. He said, this is where you're going to go. So I'm like, okay. So I get up in the stand. About 7 o'clock, I'm pretty sure I, I hear something. And it's hot. And it is a hot June night. Bugs and all that. And I'm sitting in this chair. And I was eating sunflower seeds and kind of getting bored. And I, you know, there's this little moment where I think something's coming in. And I get all the tension around it. And then it just turned into a little fox that walks by. So I'm kind of losing interest and I'm starting to nod off. And then I do nod off and I go right out of sleep. Now, I'm, there's just a rail around, a two by four rail around it and there's probably a three foot gap. And I'm sitting on this little pop-up chair and my one foot is over and I've got a, I'm on a, I have a harness and I've, I'm completely out cold. My bow's on a bow hanger in front of me and there's a bow that comes across my face and kind of just enough to block my face. And when I draw my bow, I'm not looking through it, but it blocks my face. At some point, a squirrel has decided to work its way down this branch. And I am out cold, as out cold as you can be. And all of a sudden, this squirrel goes in and, and I freaked out. 
and I, when I when I got awake, I went to stand up, but my right foot was already hanging over the thing, so I fell through the hole. <laughs> so I swung upside down, and there was a there was just a little knot in the side of the plywood, so my tree strap got hung up. So I was hung underneath the <laughs> the, the platform stand, swinging swinging around for about an hour before I could get myself turned around and start to get some momentum to try to get myself unstuck. So I hung upside down in that strap oh, for the better God. part of an hour. Or so. I ended up finally, I finally kind of got on there and I couldn't really, I, I couldn't get it. Um, I couldn't get, no, I could get myself unstuck. And then I eventually made it way, my, my way back. You so. know, if you would have had an inReach, you would have been okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this okay. is, this yeah. is like uh, 20 some years ago. So anyway. I, I don't have a lot of embarrassing moments, but I have because you hump by yourself I've all had, the time. I've had a lot of, <laughs> he can I've, keep them to himself. I've had some hair raising moments. Yeah. And I might write a book actually. <laughs> my, my wife wants me to write a book. And uh, two years ago, I never ever thought I'd have any problems with black bears until two years ago. I had a full on hiking a steep, steep ridge off the Fraser. I had a full on black bear. Charge? Charge at 20 yards. And uh, basically three feet, like point blank three feet shot, you know, and roll down past me. And then my buddy hit him again. With your rifle or bow? Yeah, with my rifle. No shit. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that was an eye-opener. And it was kind of like, I, it was just out of the blue. I just finished doing a call set halfway up the hill out of breath. And I thought I heard some twigs and branches thinking maybe some elk were above us. And I, I turned around to tell my older buddy who I was hunting with to be quieter, right? <laughs> and, and Mike looks at me. It was Mike from the so, mill. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Mike, he looks at me, and all of a sudden his facial expression, I'm going, shh. And he's like, his eyes just went like saucers. And he's like, bear. I turn around and it was just, I had no time. And I had an issue with my scope fogging up. And of course my scope's fogged up. I couldn't see through my scope. So I just leaned right way back and just waited till he basically was almost running right into me. Plugged him, jumped to the side. He rolled past me, one roll into some logs. And then Mike finished him off. And it was wow. like, you know, that's when you need a GoPro, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe for it just not to happen so and then of course we had i think possibly three or four grizzly incidences last year not incidences but encounters, encounters. one bad one that didn't end in anything getting harmed but uh, i was pretty scared that something was going to go south <laughs> oh he, he put the run on me and oh. I, I was on to this elk that i knew was in the area i had my son's girlfriend with me avery was calling for me I had a couple, uh, my cousin was with me, who's never hunted elk, so he was trying to contribute to the hunt, and I basically went in solo to try to sneak in on this guy, and it was like the grizzly encounter, like totally intercepted the hunt, and uh, it was surreal. Yeah, I can, so did, 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 did you get charged by it, or just? Yeah, no, did... he totally put the run on me. We were in like total dead pine flat, and he was running on them pine trees like they were nothing, like tree to tree to tree and just snapping limbs off and I'm trying to hurdle and run and get the hell out of there and I was screaming and yelling at him just trying to make just, some kind of racket and he stops again he stopped and then I just carried on and then I heard him coming a second time but I was going straight to Avery who had another gun <laughs> <laughs> right at the sound of the gun oh, yeah. good call yeah Chad what do you got Gosh, I got so much. <laughs> I've had bad hunts, I've had good hunts. I don't know about embarrassing while my friend of mine decided to, uh, we were up on a sheep hunt actually, and uh, a friend of mine, our, our boots had been wet for like 
you know, they're always wet, it seems, mm-hmm. when you're sheep hunting. You're never dry. And he was trying to dry his boots out, and he got him a little bit too close to the water, and he melted them. The fire? The fire melted yeah. his boots. So the next morning, they were humming and hawing. My, my buddy's knee was... So what's he getting out on, duct tape? Pretty much. We had duct tape on our... Uh, I, I made him put all duct tape on their poles, like I do when I'm sheep hunting. That way, you always have duct tape. And then we had some... Uh, um, I always have like 100, 200 feet of paracord rolled up somewhere. So we, uh, in the morning, we were Lashed some evergreen boughs. Pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. So in the morning, we, we got up. I got up early to glass. We were going to head back to the lake to get ready to leave because it was our pretty much our last day that we could hunt. And I set up the spotting scope and like six six kilometers away, here's some sheep on a ridge, skylined. And I'm like, how? Oh, that's a long ways. Well, let's go try and get him. So he, my buddy's knee was too bad. The one buddy's knee was too bad to go. And the other, his cousin who was, wasn't feeling good. And so it was just me and the other guy. And, and I was like, well, are you coming or am I going? No, regardless, I was going after a ram. I was going up a mountain regardless. I didn't care if they were coming or nothing. I was going. So he's like, no, you saw sheep. Yeah, well, I'm coming. We duct tape his boot basically onto his foot, lashed it up with some paracord, and we went up and he shot probably the biggest ram of the year up there, if not top three ram in the province. This was three years ago. Wow. Yeah. And then... On a duct tape boot? Pretty much. His boot was screwed. He had to get new boots after that. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) but he trooped through it and we ended up getting like this amazing, amazing 170... Nice. Three inch ram. Do you know how much pain there's involved in sheep hunting stories? You just went bad knee, didn't feel well. The other guys, I, I, we got snowed in, uh, lost the pack. Rifle fell down the mountainside. Get attacked by a grizzly bear. It's like a country like, song. It's, yep. it's uh, yeah, but you know what? Like sheep hunting, that's a lot of guys like to say that's the hardest hunt in North America is stone sheep in British Columbia. And the only thing I heard of that whole story was we got a really nice round. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is like, okay, that's par for the course. Check, yeah. check, check. All right. Most, if you could hunt with one famous person, who would it be? Oh, I'm going to get totally crucified for this. Living but... or dead? I don't care. Yeah. Well, because if dead, it would kind of suck to drag him up a mountain. <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh, dry. Steve's not here all yeah, week. Exactly, right? yeah, exactly. Don't tip your server. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, probably Donald Trump Jr., Seriously? I would absolutely love to hunt with the guy. He was pretty good. I heard his interview with uh, Steve Ranella on uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, no, pretty I, good. yeah, some of the guides that have guided him and camps and stuff, apparently the guy's just okay. a riot. True blue, like loves to hunt, loves yeah. the outdoors. You know, I, I would actually, I would I would love to go hunt with that guy. Good good choice. Yeah. Pete? I, th- I, I think Joe Rogan would be probably pretty good. I was going to say, Ro- <laughs> R- Rogan and Ranella are, you know, they're, they're top of the you list know, too. Yep. Joe Rogan's got a... a pretty awesome view on things you know like and he loves his hunting yep you can uh see him on youtube on a few different hunts okay chad well i think you know we're pretty fortunate up here like you know steve rinell has built this like massive following through hunting and he preaches the right message but you know up here we're fortunate we do this every day I, I would I would say that probably if it had to be a so, like any celebrity I don't care who they are honestly if I could have hunted with anybody it'd be like Theodore Roosevelt in Africa for elephant or Celius or one of those 
original African, white African elephant hunters. That's who I'd want to hunt with. Interesting. That's an interesting show. Why? So a couple of years back, I took my wife for her birthday to New York City, and we went to the uh, Natural History Museum. And at the time, I was reading a lot of Wilbur Smith, and a lot of Wilbur Smith books are based in Africa. Africa, yeah, yeah. And the older, the the first generation of his books were all on like ivory trade and elephant hunting for ivory, and that's how a lot of people, you know, from Europe made their riches. So he writes some books about Roosevelt going and shooting these big elephants, and so I started following along, and I never, I I actually never thought like, how could you shoot an elephant, an animal that when you look into their eye, you know they're thinking, you know, like they have a conscious, they're thinking behind that eye. So I was always like, well, no, you can't do that. So I get to this natural history museum, and you, of course you walk up and you see him on his his horse, just like in the um, the movies when yeah. you see the natural history. He's sitting on his horse, sword drawn. His his scout guide is right beside him, and um, you go and and they're on the front facade of the building is all North American game, and like the first ones you see are stone sheep. Elk, moose, like like, that's the very first ones you see. So you go in, and of course you go through underneath the uh, the dinosaur bones. But the very first hall they kind of direct you through there is the Hall of Africa. And in the Hall of Africa, the very first thing you see is in a complete diorama about the size of this room of a herd of elephant. And and if you read into it, there was a big thing there. He actually went. Yep. to collect these species for the Natural History Museum yep. because he knew that the majority of people are never, ever, ever going to get a chance to see an elephant. Yeah. So they went and they shot a whole herd and they took care of them and that herd would have fed whatever native tribes that were in that area. That's just what they do there. But when you walk out, he's got his second largest set of elephant tusks. One side's 124 pounds, the other side's 123. And when you walk past that as a hunter and you touch that ivory, there is nothing. And I don't care how many elk you shoot, how many moose you shoot, how many sheep you pack off a mountain. There is nothing as a hunter like touching that ivory that size. That is like when you feel it, you can feel the life force of everything as a hunter. And what it means to be a hunter when you touch that ivory. Yep. Big animal. Plus, it's also super rare for them to be that big and symmetrical. Well, he wrote back then that we are seeing... He actually wrote, he goes, in my lifetime, buffalo will be dead. Will yep. be gone. We have wiped the buffalo out. And that's one of the big reasons why he really pushed hard for the uh, national parks in North America. Yep. yep. You know, the first uh, monument, but even before Yellowstone was, I believe it was uh, Devil's Peak. Yeah. Which, again, is one of the, like, as a hunter, that was one of the most, I would say that was the most religious experience I've ever had was that Devil's Tower, sorry. In, in Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah. We, we hit it on a blood moon. It was, that's a whole nother story, but, you know, and then Yellowstone was the next one. That was your first national park. And he was writing about, if we don't change the way we hunt, we will not have animals in the future. And that whole movement of conservation really started with, you know, him and Aldo Leopold and, yeah. you know, those kind of first, if you want to quote unquote, professional hunters. People coming out of the market hunting business. Yeah. Era. Yep, for sure. So 
that's why I'd like to hunt with them. I think that whole era, I was born a hundred years too late. <laughs> I would have loved to have done that, gone to Africa. Like to do that back then would be, you know, that is the ultimate hunt. Probably, it, it, it probably feels like a, a, a period of discovery at some point where things seem new, right? Yeah. And that was back then that those were kind of the last adventures. Yep. Now, you know, every, like, is, has there an, been an animal that hasn't been hunted or like there's no real corner of the earth where you can go that hasn't been explored now yeah you can go make your you make your own adventures now even going up into the northern rockies there's not a valley that a some guy hasn't been up hunting there's not a a peak a sheep hasn't been shot on up there so now you, when you go up you go up making your own adventure you look at you're looking for that little you know pocket Maybe it's a cave or just this little slot canyon where the sheep are now hiding, basically. And 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 you're making your own adventure. Whereas back then, man, those guys step out of the door, go take their horse and buggy the whole five world. miles, and that is the wild. Yeah, the whole world was new. Yeah. Stevie Wonder? I think Chad brings up a great point with uh, Teddy. Uh, what better would it be be hunting with the uh, and the conversations with the the father of the North American model of conservation, right? Uh, yeah, no it, doubt. That'd be some pretty amazing conversations. But for for current currently alive, I got to go with Hank Shaw, uh, Hunt Gather Cook. I oh think, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think he's uh, he's developed quite the niche on social media and with his uh, cookbooks, and it's just seems like a great guy that uh, would be a lot of fun. Super cool. But I don't actually I don't follow. I absolutely like. I don't follow hunting at all anymore. I do my thing. And the reality is I get, we get to live what those celebrities want to hunt. We do that every day when we step out of our door, you know, we get to hunt. We have the potential of 400 inch elk and Prince George. We also have the potential of 200 inch whitetail, 200 inch mule deer. And these are animals that live within our city. I think you made a mistake. You meant 260. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the reality is, we live in an area that is, that is, yeah, we've got special. Yeah, we got a lot of opportunity, right? Yeah, you bet. Only yep. in only in Salmon Valley, though. Yeah, yeah only in Salmon Valley <laughs> and the Del Rio, but that's and the Del Rio, Rio. Yeah. Del Rio, yeah, the aspirational part of hunting for sure. What about you, Donnie? Bill Bill Murray. I don't even care if he hunts. <laughs> Okay, I, I I would tell you that five days with Bill Murray, That'd even be if r- all he did was ridicule and shame me for five days because he hated hunting, I would just like to hear what the fuck comes out of that guy's mouth in five oh days. My, my all-time favorite comedian, don't even know if he'd even want to do it, but I'd be totally down for that. Let's take him hunting and see what that turns into. We can edit that part out, right, Matt? This is a hunting podcast? <laughs> that's my favorite part. Of okay. That yeah, that's Damn. awesome. Yeah, to- totally with Bill Murray. All right, well, uh, we are at the end of the episode, so uh, I, <laughs> I'm uh, super uh, appreciate everybody and uh, just really, really thankful that everybody spent their evening with us uh, kind of shooting the shit and just covering a little bit of ground just about hunting in general. Uh, so thanks for you guys for dedicating some of your personal time to sit down and just have a little chit-chat over a pint. And uh, Stevie, we've got uh, Steve Ackles next week. We do. And uh, we've got a couple of other things in the cooker. So a couple more episodes we're just trying to get put together with some other guests. Uh, We've got some more conversations coming up to talk a little bit about a couple of biologists and uh, a little bit more on forestry coming up and some forest ecology stuff that should be pretty interesting. So uh, stay tuned uh, for more episodes of the Cutbanks Conversations from the Hatchery and River Road in Prince George. Thanks for listening.